right. Yeah, there we go. Jesse's Jesse's uh, that, uh-huh. when Jesse Jesse coughs, that's how I know we're going to record. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Five. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Jesse. And I'm JP. And And here we are. are, We're cracking open a new series. And I just couldn't wait to say it. I had to interrupt Jesse. Go ahead, Jesse. (laughs) We're the dad fathers opening up with a new series. Opening up. (laughs) There's too much energy in this one. I'm too excited. Guys, this is our new series on movies about Hollywood. This is movies, movies about movies. Movies about movies. Movies set in Hollywood, about Hollywood, in Hollywood, tangential to Hollywood, near it, somewhere close to it. I don't know. I don't movies remember with the guidelines. In it. Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be actors in it and directors. What are some two? cinematographers? Yeah, fewer. Uh, some 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 music. I think much music. A lot of music. I would agree about yeah, music. Yeah, a lot of music. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse's a little bit out of the music. <laughs> I mean, I think we're primarily going to talk about things in Hollywood. If we're talking about things tangential to Hollywood, then it's not going to be about Hollywood. It'll be about tangential Hollywood. I feel like it'll be a not your father's movies episode because it's going to be tangential. That's what I feel. I feel like we're nitpicking. Personally. <laughs> I'm just, anyway, I'm just anyway. curious what made you want to choose this movie to kick off your Hollywood wait, series. Wait. Wait, real, real quick question. This movie, which movie? Well, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, baby. Coming at us from last year, Quentin Tarantino's ninth film. All right. The reason, JP, to answer your question, is that it's the newest movie in the movies that we're going to be covering. That's pretty much the, the moment. Not, not because Hollywood was in the title or anything like that? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, yeah, that, that's a good reason. That's a better reason. <laughs> no, no, it just, it just escaped my attention. Yeah, and it's not because we all just really like the movie. Or because its name is Hollywood. It's just because it's newer. Yep, it was the newest one. We just decided cool. we were going to start with the newest one. Anyway, so this is our this is our first movie in this new series. But here we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from 2019, written, produced, and directed by Quentin Tarantino, aforementioned. Usually for a director, especially for some of the episodes that we have done with the director, is a lot less well-known, a lot less of a celebrity in himself. I would run down some of his credits. I really don't think that's necessary here. I, I think he's his name speaks for himself. Yeah, yeah. You, you say Quentin Tarantino, and everyone already has quite a clear idea of what you're talking about. Unless people uh, don't watch movies, in which case they have no idea who Quentin Tarantino is. I also don't know why they're listening to this podcast. In fact, in fact, like congratulations on going so far down into Reddit, you found us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, his name speaks for himself. But it uh, it was shot. Someone I did want to point out here, shot by uh, Robbie Richardson. He's done five movies for Tarantino, six movies for Scorsese, and 10 movies for Oliver Stone. His list of long credits includes uh, Platoon, JFK, A Few Good Men, Casino, Kill Bill, The Aviator, and Inglorious Bastards. Those are just a few of the amazing films that he's shot. But for our cast, again, usually I would go down a longer list trying to spotlight some people here and there, but it's just too long of a cast list. And so this movie stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie. Yeah, that, that's really all I had for summation. This is just such a, a star-spangled event that I think as we move on in our conversation, I think more people will come up 
fairly naturally. Otherwise, it's just me here sitting and reading the IMDb cast list. <laughs> um, that sounds like a great podcast. <laughs> welcome to another episode of IMDb cast lists. Today, we are covering <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <clears throat> in reverse alphabetical order. <laughs> That'd be impressive. Yeah. Maybe it should be done. That, I'm sure there's a podcast out there that has that, too. There's now a podcast for everything, including dads talking about movies. So yeah. there's a couple, I think. Yeah, there's there's one or two. Uh, we don't like to acknowledge them, though. Yeah. Yeah, we're the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jesse, uh, maybe I could turn this over to your ever capable hands. If you want to tell us what this expansive thing is about. Oh, this movie is all over the place, but it basically takes place over the course of 36 hours. And then there's a big, long, super violent sequence that takes place months later. It starts out focusing on three main characters in one main group. Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt. And then Sharon Tate, played by Margot Robbie. And then there's the Manson family, who are a bunch of crazy hippies. Rick Dalton is struggling with his movie career because he quit making TV shows to make movies and now he's just being cast in tv shows again as a bad guy doesn't know what to do with it and is told he has to go to rome to make spaghetti westerns and he really doesn't want to do that but he kicks butt at this uh certain pilot that he does right <laughs> yes he does and, it's just the way he plays he uh, that kick butt <laughs> yeah <laughs> he kicks some serious ass butt okay <laughs> pushy or, or, as, uh, or as he might say in the movie, he kicks some serious shit butt. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he plays a fantastic, evil, sexy Hamlet, gains his confidence back, yes. goes to Rome. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a great quote from the movie. Uh, goes to Rome, and then he ends up as a movie star at the end, and then, or at least friends with uh, Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. And then there's Cliff Booth, who is his like ride along buddy. He does everything for him. He drives him around, fixes stuff at his house. You get a lot of hints that he's a killer. He supposedly killed his wife. He punched a cop in the jaw at one point, and he's an ex war vet, and he kills a bunch of people at the end. He's a steady dude, and then he kills people. And then there's Sharon Tate, who wanders around town just full of life and happy because she's Sharon Tate, and she gets to do whatever she wants, and she just loves life. And then there's the crazy Manson family. They're kind of like a cult. They're peace-loving, want to do drugs, want to have sex all the time, and then they go out to murder people. I, I feel like you just described a cult. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's kind of like one. I think that's pretty much like a yeah. down-the-middle yeah, definition. They're, they're straight. They also call themselves families, usually, I, yeah. I think. Well, all, all is one forever. Fun fact was written by Charles Manson. Catchy ditty. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I just hum it while I'm washing my dishes, you know, try, try not to think about the crazy horrors that were accosted during the song. Yeah. I'm not worried. <laughs> and uh, that about sums up the movie, I think. I mean, there's a whole lot of flashbacks and stuff. I just, there's so many, and there's so many other random scenes. I just don't want to get into them. That's the movie. It, yeah, this is almost three hours long. There's a lot that happens in it, and there's a lot of different people that do those different things. Mm -hmm. And to really go down and try and describe it, it's it's just easier just to watch the movie if you want to sum up of this one. I don't often say that, but it's easier just to watch yeah, the movie. It is. <laughs> I thought, I thought Jesse's summary there was about as perfect as you could get in three minutes, I think. Any, yeah, any, yeah. You want any more than that, watch the movie, like Vita said. 
now that we have that down, I think we should kind of, usually on this show, what we like to do is a, a nostalgia, because usually we're talking about something that we have a history with. And since this came out just last year, our history is very short. So I think what we're going to mostly talk about is a first impressions. And as our guest, JP, your first time on the show, uh, we're happy to have you, excited to have you. And uh, I'm so happy you just took that snack out of your mouth because I was going to ask you what your first impressions were. <laughs> <laughs> you, you thought you thought you got me, but you weren't expecting me just to take the, the uh, what is this it's Sour Patch Kid just right out of my mouth? Not going to move. <laughs> <laughs> onto the carpet. This is a yeah, dad move. This is clearly a dad move. JP clearly knows what he's doing here. Uh, yeah, the only the only thing that would have like been more assertive is if you just stared directly ahead in complete silence <laughs> as you finished your snack and then told me what your first impression I, I think you're the first actual dad we've had as a guest on the show yeah I that checks out yeah. yeah yeah all right yeah. Well, you need well, a t-shirt or something yeah i would love a t-shirt well, of, of okay. your three guys' faces on it i would wear that all the time great that's we'll, not we'll me on that. that's not me being sarcastic I'm, I'm serious i would actually wear that all the time all right well we're gonna make it then we're gonna we do have it. to make yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 well uh, our, our secretaries managed to contact our suppliers and our suppliers contact our makers uh, about said t-shirt. We have a wide, wide group of people working for us. What are your first impressions, JP, when you watch this movie? I heard about this movie, I would say a, a, about a year at least, you know, before it came out, just hearing the, the buzz about it. And I mean, I was excited. I, I was I was going, I, I'm not really sure what, you know, What's the angle he's going to take here? Is he? Is this going to be just a total bloodbath? I mean, after all, it's a, it's about Manson, and I, and I think, frankly, that was why why Sharon Tate's sister was actually concerned about this movie. Is because you kind of go, well, like you know, Manson and Tarantino. That sounds like you know, quite. I, I was quite concerned. I was concerned as well. I was I was a little worried about what this was going to turn into. Yeah. yeah, right. And and but but at the same time, I, I was excited. I mean, just just the the setting of of late late 60s Los Angeles you know I just man I just love that period of history that that period of pop culture you know the 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 late 60s music scene out of LA you know the Beach Boys the Mamas and Papas the Birds I mean that's just man it's my absolute just love that genre of music more than more than any other um and and so I, I was excited and and just kind of wondering okay not really sure what to expect here and I'll, I'll tell you when I when I watched this movie it, it was like if JP had a billion dollars and could commission Quentin Tarantino to make a movie just for him, this was the movie. Like this was the movie. <laughs> so, I mean, that's in a nutshell, that's my first impression of this movie. I was just, I was ecstatic. I mean, this thing, this thing climbed to the top of, of my list of favorite movies, possibly of all time. Gosh, I, I really can't think of, any particular movie that I love more than this one. I've probably watched this one already half a dozen times. Well, uh, Jesse, do you, do you share these sentiments? I, I think I do. Um, my first time watching this movie was with JP actually over here at his house. <laughs> and I, I didn't really want to watch it before. I've heard, I heard great things about it, but one, I'm, I'm not really a Tarantino fan. I've seen some of his movies and I think they're all right. And maybe that's like a mortal sin among uh, movie <laughs> like cinephiles and stuff like that. But like, I just I think his movies are okay. It feels like there's this joke that I'm not quite getting every time I watch one of his movies, so I don't <laughs> appreciate them fully. 
Love it. There is, yeah, but it's okay. Yeah, we love it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but then for, for this movie, uh, actually watching it with JP, I think that's what made me really love it because JP was like, "Okay, here's what's going on in the late '60s," and it helped fill me in about what was going on because he just kind of jumps right in, right? He like he hints at some things. But, like, especially with, like, the details on Manson and stuff, he doesn't really go in there. And I guess you don't really need to know about it. But just watching it, knowing, like, the historical backstory that you gave me made me appreciate everything that was going on. Plus, I I've watched those old TV shows. He's constantly referencing older TV shows. And I've seen them on TV at some point, yeah. right? Yeah. So I knew it. So finally, it was like, all right, this is a Tarantino movie where I'm finally in on the joke. I get the references. I get what he's talking about in general and it's so much fun and so funny. And even besides the fact that I'm finally understanding everything that he's referencing, I don't think I really needed to. It was just so funny. And then the story is like, it's pretty straightforward. I loved almost every minute of it. I was laughing my ass off the entire time. Yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah, it's awesome. What, what do you think, Mike? Are you, are you? Did you also not get the Tarantino joke? Or were you a fan from the get go? I have loved. I, I I almost have like a love hate relationship with Tarantino because I love watching his movies and I feel kind of angry about all of them. But also, <laughs> they're some of my favorite movies too. It's sure. weird. I, so I've, I've got a weird relationship with him, which I think is the relationship he wants you to have with him. I don't know though. I I don't, um, I don't think he has. I don't think he's trying to be a provocateur as much as as that as as maybe you might think he is trying to be. Oh, I I, I don't know if I mean to say that exactly. I don't know. Well, I didn't want to interrupt your, yeah, your, your yeah. thing. I just wanted to. Yeah, that. and this movie is is like that as well. I love watching this movie, and at the end, I'm kind of like really glad I saw it, and also kind of frustrated with how much I like it. Maybe that's more what it is. <laughs> Interesting. Um, it's weird. Okay. It's weird. Um, That's the most complicated take anyone's had about this movie, I think. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell if you hate yourself that you love it or that you're loving hating it. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know either. Um, I don't think I hate myself because I like it. Okay. That's I don't good. think it's that one. That's good. But that's I don't good. know if it's the other one either. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> I, I saw this movie first uh, just a couple weeks ago, and I felt kind of aggressed by it with nothing having to do with the movie. Because I, it was kind of late and my wife was feeling really sick. So I said, okay, hey, you, you go to bed, babe. I've got this really long movie that I don't think you're going to like that I'm going to watch tonight. It's like three hours long. I started at like 10. It's like this is going to be a late night for Rough. Mike. My kids also decided that this would be a good night to be up all night long. So, <laughs> so I watched like half an hour and, and uh, then I had to go and, and deal with them. You know, it's now. And, and so this movie went from being almost three hours long to being almost five hours long. For That's me. disgusting. Uh, That's terrible. <laughs> so my initial contact with this movie might explain my feelings of slight frustration well, with it. I'd love to submit kind of like a, my interpretation of what this sounded like. Yeah. Um, here's Mike watching the movie. Boy, I'm actually really enjoying this. This is shot really well. This is good dialogue. That person's really great. Wow, I didn't expect them to say that. Then you hear a small child in the background. Daddy? Mike goes, get back in your cage! (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. That's basically what it is. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. Just, I, yeah. I didn't want to share that you had a cage, but it yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, don't tell people that I don't. I don't have a cage for all y- all y'all listening. I, I really don't. It's a room. <laughs> it's just a room, not a cage. At all. It's a normal room. We it talk has about windows it all the time. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That's basically what it was. Um, sure, the sure. first time I saw it, I saw it again, and and after watching, it, I thought, oh, my wife actually would really like this movie. So we watched it again a couple nights ago. It's a long movie, but the scenes don't go on as long as I had thought they did. Yeah, um, we didn't stay in Cowboy Town quite as long as it felt like the first time. Sure, I enjoyed every minute of it, minute of it both times when I was actually watching it. So that's that's where I come from. That would make sense. If you left for half an hour in the middle of the cowboy town scene, it yeah. cu- could kind of feel like maybe that will just never end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I yeah. jump in really quick? That reminds me of the time a few years ago where I I left my apartment. The radio was on as I left my apartment and Justin Bieber's, you know, anthem Love Yourself was was playing. <laughs> as I left, I I returned to my apartment approximately 3 hours later and Lo and behold, it was still playing on the radio. And I was like, wow, I, I missed the three-hour radio edit of this song. I would have known. It just keeps looping just over keeps and over. Go. You go and love yourself. An hour later. An hour later. Uh, wow, it's a new kind of hell. Except, you know, what? Yeah. he did that again this year because we all got yummy. Imagine a three-hour edit of yummy. Wouldn't that be I great? Mean, it sounds yummy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you got that yummy, that yummy, that yummy. Yeah, you got that yummy, that yummy. <sighs> yeah, Mike. Mike looks like he's gonna die. I'm sorry for doing that. <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> sorry, Jesse. <laughs> Vito, what were your first impressions of this movie? Just kind of like JP, massively hyped for this. I, I'm a pretty big fan of Tarantino, uh, especially, and this is, I think, we've all said some controversial things, with the exception of JP, um, <laughs> about <laughs> our love for Tarantino. But my love is specifically kind of Kill Bill and onward Tarantino. I don't have a ton of affection for Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction what? or Jackie Brown. What? Yeah, no, I can, I can kind of take them and leave them. Like, I get that they were revolutionary and I get that they huh. changed how movies were made. But coming up and watching so much movies after they were made and then, you know, it, it, they all kind of blended together when I was a kid. And while they it did seem special, that that method of ripping off Tarantino's ultra violence and his, it, the ultra linguistics of his actors, you know, everyone did it. Everyone did it for ever since. And if, especially like Guy Ritchie's made an entire career on ripping off Tarantino. Fair. And there's just too many people that have taken that formula and, and run with it. So where if you didn't get Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs first, it can seem watered down when you get back to it. So that's why I don't love earlier then. But after Kill Bill, from Kill Bill onwards, it seems that he is um, almost unparalleled in terms of ingenuity uh, and creativity in what he's choosing to do. Uh, the settings he's choosing to have, um, sort of the character journeys that he's writing. And the actors all just give incredible, amazing performances. So yeah, I, I, I've been a fan of his since Kill Bill, basically. And I mean, I remember when I was a kid and that came out in theaters and it was the ultra like transgressive movie. Like you yeah. could not see Kill Bill. Yeah. It was the movie you could not watch. <laughs> yep. I remember that too. Yeah. 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 I was like obsessed with reading um, in the newspaper because we got newspapers back then. I would read yeah. like the synopses of movies. And I remember reading that. I was like, this sounds incredible. Yes. And we did not watch it. And the movie was called yeah. Kill Bill. And yeah. you're like, that's awesome. <laughs> I wanted, like, who's yeah. Bill? Why do they want to kill him? She's wearing a <laughs> yellow jumpsuit. Why? And she has <laughs> a like sword. a sword. 
A sword of all things, yeah. And you're like, it's not a gun, it's it's a sword. And when you're a little kid, you see that you're like, that's awesome. And yeah, then, this yeah. is a modern movie, but she's gonna kill people with a sword. Yes. What? Especially Bill. <laughs> yeah, especially Bill. Is she Bill? Yeah. Like, is she the one we want to kill? Like, I had no idea. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, I, not, not I remember years ahead. after it came out, and my dad is just like watching it on television. And my mom getting really mad that I'm just glimpsing it and ushering me out of the room. No, 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 no. Dad's watching his movie right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, 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 it kind of reminds me. Remember that, that interview that he gave, Tarantino gave, with that, uh, that film critic uh, about Kill Bill where he's on the air with her. And she's like, Quentin, what exactly is your fascination with violence? And he goes, because it's fun, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love that. Yeah, that, that's sort of where I got ushered into it. And so, like JP, just super into the news of this movie, also apprehensive about what he's going to do with it. A lot of controversy. Um, hadn't loved the Hateful Eight when it came out, and this was his next one. Didn't really know what to do, and I went to go see it with uh, two coworkers of mine on a on a Friday night. And uh, just like everyone's saying, I mean, in this theater, this theater full of people who are really enjoying every bit, every line. It was in we we saw it uh, here in Southern California. And the audience was super receptive. It was really nice seeing places that we'd all been to. Yeah, it was just an incredible experience. And, you know, I've seen this movie probably six or seven times as as well. I really enjoy this one. It's one I love showing to people. It's one I love watching by myself. It's one I like watching with my wife. It's just, it's something that's always on. And I'm usually thinking about it in some way. So yeah, this, this is a 10 out of 10 for me. And definitely a movie that's one of the easiest ones for me to go back to. Yeah, so th- that's my impressions. And it sounds like overall, this is incredibly positive for everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe Jesse, you want to you wanna tell us a, a scene that you like from this? Because there's, there's a lot here and there's a lot in this movie. And maybe Ooh. it's easier, just like with It, if we kind of like jump into where we love and then we can sort of move around from there. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of phenomenal scenes and phenomenal lines in this movie. But the one that always makes me laugh the hardest, it's it's at the end. It's in the midst of all this crazy violence. <clears throat> and this girl, uh, she has her face maimed and she has a gun. And then Rick Dalton is drunk, floating in his pool. And then the maimed girl crashes through the glass, sliding glass door, screaming flailing a gun in the air while rick dalton is just like floating in the pool and is oblivious to all the violence that has gone on in his house he likes is startled he like gets up uh he rolls out like is floundering in the pool and the the girl falls into the pool right and she's like floundering forever and she's underwater for a time and he doesn't know what's happened to her and he doesn't even know if it's like a person cautiously goes over to investigate and she f- comes up out of the water with a gun <laughs> firing into the air and he gets freaked out and instead of like tackling her which is probably what I would have done in that situation right <laughs> he gets he runs the opposite way gets up out of the pool runs to his shed and he comes back with a flamethrower <laughs> like, like, like when I first saw that I was just like alright what is he because this Tarantino is going to be ultra violent. What is he going to get? Like a pair of shears? It's going to be terrible. No, it's it's just a flamethrower, <laughs> and he's firing it on this girl in a pool, and all she has to do <laughs> is duck. But instead, he fries her ass, 
like, <laughs> while she's in the pool. It doesn't make any sense, I mean, but it's weird, and I love it, and it's so much and, fun. And it's the best Chekhov's gun moment you'll ever see. Yeah. Like, the, just the best. Yes, yeah, 100%. Yeah. We saw it, and we were like, that's funny. I wonder when that's going to come back. Two hours, two and a half hours later, you're like, oh, shit, oh, flamethrower! It's the flamethrower! <laughs> there it is, the and I love, I love how Jess, Jesse points out right now where it's like, I hadn't thought about it that way, where, where like Rick could have like done anything, but instead anything. he makes a, he makes a beeline for the shed and it's, and it's like, this is the moment he's been waiting for, <laughs> for his entire life, for his entire adult life, yeah. is he actually gets to be the action hero in real life. It's all he's ever wanted, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, he finally he, he actualizes. Finally, it doesn't matter that he's a miserable fucking drunk. You know, <laughs> yeah. he gets to be something special, <laughs> worthwhile. He gets to do something worthwhhile. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's a exactly that's a great scene. Uh, JP, what do you got? Uh, well, r- really, just kind of related to that character arc with 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 Rick Dalton. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit and and name two scenes here that are i think cheat, are cheat cool. away the, these right, are loose right. rules <laughs> yeah yeah thanks <laughs> you know the, the first the first one being um in the uh, in the cowboy town for the when they shoot the pilot episode for uh lancer and and so after you know he has the the failed you know first take where he forgets all his lines in his dressing room comes out of the dressing room and and you, you see him walking down the street towards his next shoot, right? And but but the way you know Tarantino frames it, it's this is the moment. Like Rick Dalton, the actor, is walking down the street as a gunslinger. You know, this is high noon. This is the moment of truth, right? It Definitely, goes in there, yeah. yeah, goes in there and and crushes it. Just absolutely crushes it. And, you know, the little, the little girl says to him like that, that was the best acting I've ever seen in my life. It's such a sweet moment, especially because Rick, she like, she means it so sincerely, right? And it's, and, and she thinks that, you know, when she says it, it means like so much to her to say this. And most people hearing this is like, well, you're, you're a 12 year old kid. I mean, what what acting have you seen? Right. But, Mm -hmm. but Rick's response to that is proportionate, right? It's, this is all he's ever wanted to hear, right? You, you are a real actor, Rick. And so that, that moment, that's, that's the moment where he, he, in a sense, becomes the cowboy, right? He becomes the cowboy that he's always wanted to be. He's, he's okay with going to Rome now and, and doing the spaghetti Westerns. Make, making fucking Italian movies. Italian. (laughs) And, and, and it's, and it's that, it's that self-assurance, right? He's finally gotten that. He's finally become, he's, he's become like Brad Pitt in a sense, right? He's become that, he's become that self-assured cowboy. And so then, you know, the the second scene in, in relation to that is, is when he, when the hippies pull up in their loud car outside his house <laughs> he, go, he goes out there he goes out there with you know in a bathrobe and and a frozen margarita in his hand but man a, i mean it, no no a blender so of frozen margaritas <laughs> it's the whole blender <laughs> this was meant to be split or at least drunk over time yes in, in different cuts <laughs> but he's out there in like in slippers and a bathrobe at, 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 in august now look august in hollywood it's hot as shit. It was 105 degrees. Yes. 
And I can just imagine the only thing that could ever cool you down enough to go to sleep would be a blender full of frozen margaritas. Yeah. And then to yeah. have these hippie assholes come up with their loud whatever car that was. What, what, I can't remember. What yeah. Car. Some kind of jalopy. It's, it's, it's yeah. old and run And just down. the way that he bangs on their hood. Hey, get out of here. Just, he's like ch- channeling Grand Grand Torino a little bit. No, no, I'm telling you, man. He goes out there in you know that that bathrobe and that picture. It might as well have been you know John Wayne's trench coat and sawed off barrel shotgun, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, he goes out there, and, and that's and it's just like that moment of like, yes, he's still like this absurd movie star with all the with all the movie star frills, but he he is fundamentally changed such that. He can literally get a car full of kids with guns to turn around like just by the sheer, just by sheer will. And, you know, just by sheer weight of his dadness, because yeah. that is the ultimate dad <laughs> moment in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's, that's true. That's true. Also, also right before, right before he goes out there, right. He's like muttering to himself. He's just like, I pay my fucking taxes. <laughs> 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 Like, yeah, you're a dad now. I I kind of saw those scenes as as um, it, kind of the the beginning and the culmination of this mm. of this character change in Rick, and and of course then then fully you know fully realized with the flamethrower that that Jesse talks about right and then a yeah moment later that's great cool. that's awesome. What what do you do? Did they infringe on your favorite scene? Um, sort of, but I feel like. Almost every scene in this movie is my favorite scene of this movie. It's, I mean, <laughs> Tarantino just like makes scenes that are incredible and he brings the best out of the best actors. I mean, Leo and Brad are two of, two of the best. I was actually like ever. scrolling through the synopsis yeah. for this, like yeah. trying to find a favorite scene. And really each scene was like, oh, that one. Yeah. Oh, that one. Oh, yeah. That one. And then I realized that there's only like, I don't know. 12 scenes <laughs> in the whole movie. Like, <laughs> the really? scenes are, well, the scenes are just really long. Yeah, you know, yeah. they, they take up true, such yeah. well that that's like his calling card, right? Yeah. Is that he just has these big chunky scenes yeah. that go on for a long time and then it transitions finally and you go, Oh, I didn't I kind yeah, of forgot. Like like, place. like you're talking about like we're in Cowboy Town for so long. Exactly. We're in yeah. everywhere for so long. Well, but also like that that whole middle segment of the movie that goes on for I think at least an hour. The majority of the um, movie, the majority of the movie is that movie. that period of Rick showing up just die, like literally dying to lancer (laughs) that was one of my favorite things like that i've seen is just like him just just struggling just (laughs) struggling to be alive like a little bit enough to get his makeup on you know like his head's his head's in the bowl of ice he's covered in water he's like he's like holding up like like chunks of ice to his wrinkles and his baggy eyes because he's so hungover (laughs) so bad sam sam uh, wanamaker is like oh no i'm used to it with you with you don't worry yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Ooh, that's a gut punch and but, they're trying uh, to have a conversation with him and every time they're talking like he's like either lighting up a cigarette or hacking up a lung <laughs> or like <laughs> pouring water on his face like he's yeah. always doing something different every time the camera turns back to him it's great yeah it, it's amazing I, I think I think if I had to pick like a favorite of uh, out of because I think that whole the whole middle segment of the movie is probably my favorite part of the movie the, second, the whole movie is my favorite part. The of the second movie, chapter. But, um, I think Brad Pitt at Spawn Ranch. Um, mm. I, I kind of like the whole the whole sequence, it's man. The whole sequence, like I can't get away from saying the whole sequence. I want to break it down into like 
oh, when he meets Squeaky, like that is freaking crackling, man. Yeah. That is amazing. And then when he meets George and he wakes George up and it's like, <laughs> it's, and George tells him not everybody needs a stuntman. That's like, that's mm-hmm. such a, a, a central line to the whole movie, I think. And how he's, he's kind of unfazed by it though, right? He yeah. Just goes, he goes, well, it was good seeing you, George. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good seeing you. And then certain, yeah, he's so unfazed the whole time. And then, like the way he uh, he reprimands, like he beats up the hippie who who yeah. stabs a whole. Definitely. But he's not like he's not really like it's, he's angry, but he's not really. He's more like it's impersonal. Like I, I don't know if I should say this, but in a way, I was like, oh, that's kind of what it's like when I get upset at my kids. Like I'm not really <laughs> upset at them when they yes. smear poop on the walls. You know what? You know what? Like, yeah, it's like you're a kid. That's what you do. Like I wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> Well, um, but I got to show yeah. you not to do that. I'm not going to, you know, punch her in the face, obviously, but right. But you got to you got to you got to tr- teach them. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing, because like as dads, what we do is we lay down the law. Right. And if if the kids break the law, they get the punishment. And Cliff is a man of like order and law. Like he has some sort of moral code. You're not quite sure what it is. One of those codes is, if you mess with my stuff, I'm going to punch you in the face. A couple yeah. times. Five or six. <laughs> More five or make six sure times. you learn your lesson, <laughs> yeah. and then you're going to fix the thing you broke. Yeah. Now I mean, fix. He, he even says he was in prison for, for cracking a cop's jaw open in that yeah. same sequence, right? So it just yeah. seems like this is what this guy does. If you cross him... In some way that he deems worthy of violence, he'll do it, and he'll do it emotionlessly because that's just his rules, and you broke them. Yeah, yeah. In, in a different universe, this 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 could have been Samuel L. Jackson in this movie. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Well, that's a great one. That's actually it, that was one of my one of my picks too. Is that that Spawn Ranch sequence, um, especially when Cliff when Cliff tries to leave. But I think then for my my pick, it, it's going to be the opening credit scene, all the way through to when. He leaves the bar with Cliff when Rick and Cliff leave the bar. That that's my pick because that that whole sequence from the the black and white opening from Hollywood, and then we cut uh, to just that that the credits start to roll. We get that slow the slow pan out. What you when you're not sure you're looking at for a minute, and then it turns out to be uh, the Leo's double chin on a portrait in his driveway. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing. It is. <laughs> it's so great. Because I remember being in the theaters and seeing that and being really confused because it was a giant screen and you just get like the curve of the lip and a little bit of white of the teeth. And I was kind of going like, is that a nude body? Is that a... <laughs> is that a it's Tarantino, I remember, like, you don't know. I, d- I didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to look at. And then you don't really realize like what it is or where... Well, you figure out what it is, but then you don't know where it is until why, why like it's half there? an hour later. Well, because And so, you never know why it's, it's there. It's so confusing because it's a giant picture of himself in his driveway that he parks in front of. <laughs> I assume that he was like on set. Like yeah, I assume like, exactly. okay, whatever. This director is a weird dude who yeah. wants to have ugly portraits of his actors out for them to be like, I don't, I'm not ugly or something. I don't know. That's like the, what I made There was, there was like head. a thousand reasons why it could have been. <laughs> and it wasn't any of the reasons that it actually turned out to be, which was simply that Rick has it. Uh, and he put it there. Uh, apparently, <laughs> yeah, that's, I, it. that's it. I, I was I, I read this. Apparently, um, Tarantino had been to some actor's house. I can't remember Lee, who Lee it was. Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, Lee Van Cleef. And yeah. Lee Van Cleef had a portrait, like a similar sort of random portrait of well, himself well, in Lee, his garage. Lee Van Cleef has, has been dead for a number of years, and his wife keeps their house as a as a kind of museum to his memory. 
Um, oh, I thought it was when he was still. And, well, he okay. did put it there while he was alive. Gotcha. And that was what Tarantino was, was taking away from <laughs> okay. it. Is that, isn't it bizarre that you would put up a giant portrait of yourself in your garage where you would see it all the time. <laughs> and he yeah. thought that it would be a really great idea for Rick. And so, yeah. but just, just that, that scene where it goes through your, your meeting, your three main characters, you know, Rick and Cliff over here going to work, doing their thing uh, or getting drinks. And then you meet uh, Margot Robbie playing Sharon Tate and kind of her lifestyle. And we're going, cutting back and forth between them. Awesome soundtrack and uh, you know, treat her right. What a killer track that, is really wonderfully edited here because if you know that song Treat Her Right, you know that the middle minute is really quiet <laughs> and not that exciting. And it's just like him going, if you do what I tell you to, your lady will love you. <laughs> and then the beginning and the end of it are really fun. But he just cuts <laughs> that middle out, extends it, and makes it sound like a real party track the whole time. So I thought that was brilliant. And then the meaning of Al Pacino as Melvin Schwartz and his description of Rick Dalton's whole career we get all these lovely character touches of Cliff uh, doing what I do to Bloody Marys, which is shaking the Tabasco bottle until someone looks at you and says, hey, could you stop? Like, that makes me <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and then Tarantino's just doing so much there. There's all the cross cutting. And then he also has where he goes like, oh, yeah, Cliff, he's just a he's been driving me around for a while. My car's in the shop. And then Kurt Russell breaks in as the narrator and says, that's a big fucking lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It, it, it's just such a tremendous flex of style yeah. very quickly. There's a lot of characterization done really fast, but the scene breathes. And I think that's first 15 minutes or so, first 18, is just such a bravura uh, masterstroke from a creator. Uh, I, I, I don't know if any other particular sequence for me is better than that in the movie, but that's my Also, favorite. Al Pacino as Schwarz, he's, he's so strange. Like, yes. you're not really, you're like, you're trying to figure out, like, who on earth this guy is. You know he's a sort of businessman, but he's a businessman that is not boring and has a lot of character. And just the way he phrases everything, like, when he's he an says... Old, he's an agent, man. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to be uh, a heavy on uh, Batman and Robin next? Boom. Pow. Boom. 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 Why did... It's... And then he says, down goes your career. And... As a leading man. Yeah. And I don't know what it is that that whole performance by Al Pacino is so engaging. And he's only on screen for probably like five, ten minutes. It's less. Um, it's, yeah. it's it's like three or four. It's very short. Yeah. But he's so memorable on screen. Like that is just, it's a brilliantly shot and super memorable scene. I love it. And the way that they, they also intercut it with uh, the two movies. Because, you know, we have a sense of Rick as someone that's important-ish. But we don't actually know what sort of a, a an actor he is. And this tells you really quickly, like, JP, I think you'd like to talk about this a little bit here, too, is where that sort of maybe that kind of leading man would be, what kind of star that would look like. Because as soon as I saw you're in Tanner, which is a Western that he and his wife, Melvin and his wife love. And I'm like, oh, OK, I know I know Westerns like that. You know, my mom and dad like Westerns like that. And then it's like and then she went to bed. And I poured myself a cognac, lit up a cigar, and I watched the 14 fists of Mr. McCluskey. <laughs> <laughs> and he sits, and you see him like you see him pouring it, and he's, he's cutting it, cutting his cigar, and he's sitting back down, and he's so excited. He's like, all oh, the shooting. Blah, 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 blah. And then it cuts right into that scene <laughs> with the shooting. That was just such a, a brilliant uh, characterizing of who Rick is, where he's come from, and also setting yourself in a very unique time and place in film history. And I thought that was really brilliant. I didn't know if you had any thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I actually, thanks, Vito. I, I do. Um, 
uh, before before I share though, I, I want to say right off that that moment with fourteen fifths of McCluskey. My my first thought was, oh man, why doesn't Tarantino make this movie? And then <laughs> half a second later, I was like, oh wait, he did. Yeah, <laughs> it's called Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, which, which is for sure. Which, which is a fun, actually one of those fun internet theories that in this universe, right, in this alternate universe where the, the Tate murders never happen, also 14 Fists of McCluskey is based on real historical events, right? right. <laughs> where, where Hitler actually got burned to a crisp in a movie theater, right? right? So, look, um, look, 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 if Shoshana is actually a real Jewish heroine that existed, Man, I'd be I'd name every one of my daughters Shoshana. Like, <laughs> holy shit, she's the coolest. Anyway, I don't want to geek out too much about that. Continue, man. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So no, no, exactly what you're saying about the um those those early westerns. Um really it the the most obvious parallel I think was with Steve McQueen, intention an intentional parallel. Steve McQueen, um had his own his his first show was uh wanted dead or alive i believe great show, great show really yeah no I've, yeah I, I used to used to watch it myself um and uh so bounty laws and obvious callback to that and so then and so then you get to the the great escape right and it's and mcqueen mcqueen supposedly edges out rick dalton for that role so so in other words you get this idea that the, both these guys were had parallel career trajectories, but then McQueen took off and, and Dalton did. Would you say, would you say that McQueen put uh, Rick in the cooler? I see what you did good there. One. Good one. <laughs> see what you did there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, You're welcome everyone. But, but then, and, and so that's, that's kind of the, I, that's the initial setup, I think. Um, but, but I think there's also a, another parallel with Clint Eastwood, which, which is not, immediately obvious but i think i think you're supposed to see it when it comes to the spaghetti westerns clint eastwood also started off in a b western tv show called rawhide uh, which which has since gone down as one of the one of those classics but that was clint eastwood's first first breakthrough as well eastwood did not become a star until he went to italy and made the spaghetti westerns you know the man with no name trilogy and all that so, so what what's interesting about that is Tarantino sets you up with that with that obvious uh, McQueen parallel of oh man life's life's passed Rick Dalton by McQueen's taken off he hasn't but but it leaves you with a little bit of with a little bit of hope at the end especially when he comes back from Italy as a full fledged movie star now you're like oh Dalton wasn't McQueen ever he was actually Clint Eastwood um, and his career is just about to take off now mm-hmm. yeah. Because in the middle of the movie, right, he says, in order to make it in Hollywood, you need land, right? And he says, like, <laughs> my next door neighbors are Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski, and I'm just one pool party away from starring in a Roman Polanski film. And uh, he had a pool party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah, did you get that? Did you get that? No, no yeah. I did not get that. Yeah. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> it was a violent pool party. <laughs> it was That's fantastic. It was lit there was AF. A, there was a lot it of was lit. <laughs> lit AF. <laughs> someone, someone brought a tiki torch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 for sure, I, I love that he brought in 
sort of those two sorts of parallels. And, and like we're talking about too, with, with uh, John Wayne as being an obvious uh, visual metaphor. I mean, just, just right before we started, you know, actually recording the episode, quote unquote, um, I was just reviewing the Spawn Ranch scene a little bit. And I was just in, in last minute attempt to absorb something new I could say about this movie that everyone has said something about is I thought it was really striking in that Spawn Ranch scene, how different Tarantino decides to shoot it, how very much not like him, he shoots it. It's actually very much like John Ford. It, very clear frames of a figure in the distance, slowly coming in, framed by the landscape, by the architecture around him, and how small and diminutive those figures are, but they still loom large despite their their small stature. The way that that is, some of the other frames also would kind of remind you of the wide shots of like Sergio Leone. Like His when, walk uh, through town, man. Yeah. Yeah, they're all yeah. like, oh, like get out of here, throwing stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. <laughs> and that, that, George that is a blind. Like... You are the blind one. Oh, yes. such a good line. <laughs> such a... That, that feels a lot like Sergio Leone. The way the way that it, it moves, and there's all this activity happening. Yeah. There's these dogs that are always like running back and forth. Um, yeah. There's so much happening, and then when there's nothing happening, and he just wants you to focus on it, like it's a it's a painting, like the hippies sitting on the fence, right? And behind him are all these cows that are like going nuts. For no reason, they're just <laughs> running around behind him, but he's still on the fence. And then it cuts back to to Cliff, who's standing like almost like a model next to his car, and there's nothing happening in the background. It's only stillness for him. He's completely still. And when it cuts back to the hippie on the fence, there's a maelstrom of activity and dust, and he's mm. sitting there laughing and toothless. Cliff is like the still spot in the universe, the yes. heaviest object that everything moves around. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Much like yeah. Clint Eastwood, man. Do we go for a second though, Jesse? Uh the the line Jesse just quoted, which by the way, that's that's um that's Andy McDowell's daughter. Um if yeah, she looks familiar. Pauly. Her delivery. One, one of, of that many line, famous daughters in that scene, actually. Oh yeah. Yeah, that, that's sorry, that's JP. Right. Sorry, I won't um, interrupt you. <laughs> no, 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 no. By all means. But I, I I loved her delivery of that line because because the line itself is funny, right? But her delivery made it extra funny. The, the 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 she's the way she says George isn't blind. It's it makes you think there's some kind of like reveal about to happen. George isn't blind. And you're like what? What George isn't blind? <laughs> you're the blind one. <laughs> like oh, it's like, picks you up and throws you down. You're like oh, it's so good. Mike, I I believe you had a you you had a question or two. Yeah, well, I so I, I mean, maybe this goes back to, to what I was talking about in, initially about how I feel about Tarantino movies and, and about this one specifically. Um, I really I enjoy the crap out of it the whole time I'm watching it. And I feel a little frustrated at the end. And and, and so I I kind of have a question that I, I want to pose to you guys. And, and I've got some thoughts about it. But I don't know. I, I kind of want to see what, what your thoughts are on it. I guess we're talking about like, like it's a movie, it's a story and a story has character arcs and, and all of that stuff in it. And and I'm kind of wondering like, what's, what's this movie about? Finally, who is this about? What is there? What is the arc? Um, like, like what is this movie? Um, <laughs> about? I mean, like Jesse, it's about a lot Jesse, of things, but, uh, but like Jesse, do you just want to read your summary <laughs> one more time? Um, JP, you can help him out because I think you're really animated. Just, just you two, just, just do the summary again. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let me rephrase that. I guess, like, okay, so this movie is about this washed-up actor and all that, but like, I guess maybe it almost seems like he's made this movie 
and he's built these incredible actors who who he's built these incredible <clears throat> characters who who have tons of personality and and like you relating to them and and you he's built up these incredible parallels but then it finally ends with what seems like he's taken these characters and, and crafted them into a bludgeon to just beat the shit out of some people that he hates more than anybody else. And that's what he's done in a few movies. That's why I feel frustrated because it's like, is that all that it's for? Did he do all of this just so that he could turn them into a baseball bat and kill off these fucking hippies? Or is there more here? All right. There's more. That's my real question. Go ahead. Okay. So I have some thoughts about this. So there are like four main characters. There's three people and then the whole Manton family, right? Okay. I would say that there are parallels between Cliff and Sharon Tate and then parallels between Rick Dalton and the hippies. Let's start with uh, Cliff and the Sharon, actually. Whenever they're on screen, you know exactly who they are. Like Cliff is the Old West cowboy, right? He is the guy that Rick Dalton is always trying to act like, like even some of his first lines are what's wrong partner. Um, he's always acting like a cowboy in a Western and he lives by bounty law. Yeah. If you offend him, then you get crushed, but he's never confused about that. And same thing with Sharon. Sharon walks around town, enjoying life to the fullest at all possible moments. And she loves it. And she, Honestly, just watching it, she was kind of endearing. When I was watching it, I was just like, I'm not sure if I want my daughters to grow up like her. But for whatever reason, I just like seeing her on screen. She's just full of life and energy, and she's everything I like to see. Yeah. She's angelic. Everything she touches, she's like, like people are, you know, turning into flowers behind her. She picks up the the hippie who, like, you get a sense that she's maybe one of the Manson people because everyone else is. And they're like, they have a lovely conversation. And she says, good luck on your trip. It's amazing. Yeah. And so so what I find is like, you have like the free love Sharon. And then the the cowboy who turns out to be a total ruthless killer, Cliff. Right? And then you have people like the hippies who are fluctuating between the two. And don't, because unlike Sharon or Cliff, they don't know who they are. Are they free love hippies or are they going to go murder all of Hollywood? I don't really know what their deal is, but they keep on changing their minds. And then you have Rick, who is kind of more akin to the hippies, right? He doesn't know who he is. He's struggling to figure out who he is as an actor. He should be more like Cliff, but he's not. He's kind of weaker and doesn't really have any sort of moral code like Cliff does. Or not even more, just any code whatsoever. And then he finally gains that at the end. I think they have this scene together, right? Rick finally says, all right, Cliff, I got to let you go. I have a wife now and we're going to move out of our house. And uh, I just don't have the money to pay you. And it's like for the first time you see like Rick having some sort of agency over his life yeah. uh, because he knows who he is, what he wants and where his priorities lie for the first time in the whole movie. So I think what this whole movie is about is kind of about people who know who they are, people who don't know who they are, and that the hippies who we who don't know who they are, when you see them on screen, they're really creepy. Like, even when you first see them and they're seeing all as one as one, and they're supposedly happy, and you're like, oh man, this is a cult. I know it's a cult. This is awful. They're I don't want this to continue. Garbage. I found hot Cheering. dog buns! Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I thought it was more of like, 
Cliff, especially Cliff, turns out to be like a total ruthless killer who you can't really root for because he bashes girls' heads in. I mean, let's, let's be clear who, who quote unquote girls are here. The hippies? Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're knife wielding, threatening hippies that are invading uh, his friend's house. Who in real life yes, murdered true. an eight months pregnant woman. So like, And her I four have... friends. And her four friends. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Who, who, who are we mad at here? <laughs> it's, it's, all right. But it's he true. didn't, they didn't in this movie, you know, like, because <sighs> they but, got murdered. Yeah. Because, yes. because they got murdered. Yes. But, but I feel like that argument makes the case for it just being vengeance porn. Well, well let, let, let's let Jesse finish agree. his point before we like jump right ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So basically what I got from the movie is it is better to know who you are, even if what you are is a terrible human being, probably like Cliff is, because I get that feeling at the end. Then it is to be like the hippies or to be like Rick was at the beginning of the movie and not know who you are. Because for whatever reason, it's more attractive to be that way. Like I just, I'm just attracted to it more. I just want to be more like those people, more like Cliff, more like Sharon. Character okay. actualization is the is the progression of the characters in the stories is them becoming who they want to be in a very Hollywood esque kind of style. I mean, the movie mm-hmm. is called Once Upon a Time Ellipses yeah. in Hollywood, so it's mm-hmm. it's a fairy tale. Yeah. It's also a throwback to Sergio Leone's supposed to be trilogy of Once Upon a Time movies, even though the second one is retitled. It, it's a it's a couple things all at once, and just like Hollywood stars, we aspire to be like them. They aspire to maybe be some of these archetypes that they play. And even more than that, you could aspire to be, as a normal person, something legendary, something unique, something special, something larger than life. And so it's to move from your point, Jesse, to to what Mike is saying is, why is this not vengeance porn? In some way, it it must be said it is. Tarantino is an exploitative filmmaker. He loves exploitation films. Uh, he he did Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. These are exploitative things. He works within a very... Sp- when I say exploitative... I, what I truly mean is the genre here. I don't mean the connotation that that word usually has. These genre pieces that pick at things that are provocative and exploit them in very violent ways. So it is vengeance porn. Yes. But there's also more to it than that. It is a fairy tale. It is an aspirational tale. It is a, a character journey for several different characters. Um, it's a way of rewriting history for him to ask a question that I think is really interesting. You know, if the hippie movement was not uh, demonized because of the actions of this cult, how different would our culture be? How different would things have gone? And I think there's just a lot, there's too many questions, there's too many directions this has gone, and there's too many ways that he subtly explores all of it for it to be simply labeled vengeance porn, even if that's a part of what it is. That's a really great answer. That's a a really good answer. And- also, I just want to point out with with the violence at the end, right? Yeah, there's there's that aspect where it's cathartic that you're that you're seeing this happen to all these crazy killers who committed one of the most notorious murders in American history. I mean, it also gives the Rick Dalton flamethrower scene, right. and it also reveals Cliff as the true brutal killer that I think it's hinted at the entire movie. Can, can, yeah. we just, can, can we just like yeah, just tackle I, the elephant in the room real quick? Yeah. So let's take, I, let's, I want to take a poll. Yeah. I, I want to take a poll. Let's do it. Yeah. Who thinks that uh, <clears throat> Cliff uh, definitely killed his wife? Uh, I do. I do. I do. I'm going to vote no. Um, <laughs> you know, this, this is, um, 
extra textual, so to speak, but overruled. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even know nice, what I was going to say. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Doesn't it's matter. the fact that you're saying it. <laughs> JP says I'm against it. All right, great. No, 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 no. That you need that, to listen to our, our trial of Chicago Seven episode. I'm just being the the judge. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. I got, I got to listen. I did, I did watch the movie. Um, I did watch it, but I, I, I was just being the judge. Yeah, I, I am. I was very excited to to hear your podcast on that. So I'll have to get to that. Um, to the did he or didn't he? The it was very obviously a spin on the Natalie Wood mysterious death to the to the extent that his wife's name was actually Natalie. I don't know if anyone noticed that her name was Natalie. And she died on a boat. If you want to give some context to that story, JP? Yeah, so so Robert Wagner, him and I, I think it was um, Christopher Walken, right? The the three of them were on a boat and Nat, uh, Natalie Wood went over the side in the middle of the night and drowned. There was rumors that Robert Wagner did it. Well, um, there was also testimonial from several people who said that he did it. Like he said, there was an altercation that night said there was sounds of fighting said there was screaming. One person actually said that they saw it happen. They, they were discredited somewhat, but wow. th- there was a lot of people that it wasn't just the three of them alone. You know, it was, it was a very high profile case and it's actually kind of come to light again recently. There, there was some new evidence a little bit ago. Um, I, I didn't keep up with it enough to know, but even in that circumstance, even in that thing that I think that he is hearkening back to, you're right, JP, I, that one is also super murky. And there's a lot of evidence to say that he did kill her, if not enough to prosecute him in court. Interesting. Interesting. So so it sounds like you you probably know a little bit more about the real case than I do. I the, Actually, what, what I was about to reference was what seemed to come to light recently actually exonerated him. The the bottom line from what I remember reading recently was that popular opinion now, what have you, is this was all tabloid rumors and that hmm. alcohol was to blame for Natalie Wood's death, period. Again, like this is me remembering a headline off the top of my head at this point. But <laughs> also, also it, it, it's, a, it's a death that happened like 40 years ago. Yeah. 50 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, at least four yeah. years ago, it's got to be. So in, in doing this poll, my, my only point was in the movie, right? Everyone says, he fucking killed his wife. He killed his wife. You're with a wife killer. Why do you stick up for that guy? And it shows you the one scene, right? The flashback to the boat. <laughs> she's she's being quite mean. He's being Cliff, right? Doesn't respond to anything. Doesn't say a word. Comes out. He, he puts on the goggles. He, he comes out. He, he puts sits on down. Goggles. He puts on goggles. <laughs> he opens a beer. The beer sprays his goggles. The harpoon gun is resting in his lap, pointed at her. Yes. The wave hits the boat, and the scene cuts. So even if it wasn't murder, what I'm saying is, I think he killed her. Even if he didn't oh, murder. like an accident. I didn't get that. That's the, the, that's, way, that's the nicest bumped, way. Yeah. Like, that's the nicest way you could interpret that. Is that huh. when you pointed yeah. a harpoon gun at someone, you didn't mean for it to go off. <laughs> <laughs> but if yeah, it happened to I mean, happen to her, I mean, he might have been okay with and it. And they were alone on a boat. <laughs> yeah. And he's drunk. Uh, with his I goggles mean, on. Like, the thing is, it's hard to tell with Cliff because Cliff in the movie just never has emotions, even when he's bashing a girl's head in over and over again, and he's been wounded. 
there's still no emotion on the dude's face. So it's like, like huh. he, he's, he's really yeah. high on hallucinogens. Yeah. I, I will put that being See, what they I, call Yes, ball. he is, but he's still not being Cliff. It's not like he's not not being Cliff, right? He's still he's still Cliff Booth the entire time. Totally like, so- it's like Socrates, drunk or sober, he's still Socrates. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sorry, that's very too, too nerdy there. One of my favorite lines in the movie is in that scene when uh <laughs> when uh the, the hippie when Tex says um I'm the devil here to do the devil's business. <laughs> no, nah, it was nah. something lamer than that. motherfucker. Well, anyway, I, I just wanted to know, like, just sort of where we stood on on the Cliff side. So, so JP, are you are you are you pretty comfortable in saying that that Cliff still didn't kill her? I mean, it's, um, it's, we can... I, I guess my my real answer is I don't think it matters. I think that to go back to the the cowboy archetype that I think it sounds like we've had no objections to this that that Cliff is the cowboy archetype of this movie. If you do the math with his age, he's actually. Um, he would have been born in the you know very early 20th century and mm. and could have very easily been from a cowboy pioneering family and realizing that dynamic of he actually could have been this real cowboy that is now being depicted on the small screen colliding mm. with this new culture of hippiness seems to add a real um tension to what's going on if you actually understand it in that way so i do i do have a question in in light of that it's a very interesting viewpoint so i don't disagree that he is an is an an archetypal kind of figure in this movie he's treated that way certainly but as far as uh cowboy ness i think he's he's definitely what tarantino wants you to think of when when tarantino thinks of cowboys but i don't think he could easily be slotted in in I mean, in, in times he functions like a John Wayne kind of character, but at other times he functions more as a Steve McQueen. Other times he functions more as a Clint Eastwood. He bounces around and tends towards the mean and tends towards the brutal, which is not a typical kind of cowboy way. Cowboys generally, Whoa. as far as we've Whoa. seen in, in like the 1960s and 70s, is is actually a lot. The fair ones, the archetypal ones, aren't brutal. They're fair. They're just. And they kill him dead. They don't beat him dead. Exactly. So I'm not I'm not saying that he's not supposed to be that cowboy archetype in the movie, but I don't know if historically that holds up as much because this is like a pretty far right or far left, whichever way that you want to go. That's not the center because I don't want to use politically charged words in our climate right now. <laughs> far off strong center. Term okay. In center. Okay, I think I think what I'll propose is like Cliff Booth. Uh, I think he is the cowboy archetype, and I I think. If you bring so the the whole violence that happens at the end, right? It's almost like like the whole movie has really been a Hollywood movie, so to speak. Like all the violence up to that time has been Hollywoodized drastically, and then what you see at the end is something that's not quite that. It's Tarantino violence, not movie violence. Like we've already seen Rick Dalton use a flamethrower in the movie and kill three people, but when he kills well, that one it, person it, it, at it, the it, end. In a movie, right? It was yeah. a movie yes. in the movie. <laughs> exactly. That's a Hollywood 
violence, right? Right. Sure, um, but he's used that same flamethrower and he's using it again. And that ending scene has more impact because it's represented as real. Sure. So like maybe, maybe that is Cliff Booth, the, the cowboy archetype being brought into the real world. And I, I would argue that, you know, real cowboys, especially as they're depicted in TV shows and movies, like they work in TV shows and movies, but as soon as you bring that in, to real life, then you realize that they're just going to kill people. They're going yeah, to and, shoot people uh, dead. There's, there's and, no disagreement. People. Here. The disagreement is in terms of when, when he brings it into Tarantino violence and the way that you're phrasing, even that explanation, Jesse says how unrealistic it is. And then to turn around and say, but the realistic way is the same thing that you're talking about is this sort of absurd, almost Tex Avery cartoon violence that Tarantino does. I don't think that's how a, a this archetype would function in our in our world because the morals here, well, we're talking about morals and, and talking about, you know, Cliff Booth um, having these, these sets of morals here. It's don't fuck with me and I won't fuck with you. But when you do, I will retaliate. Now, in, in Westerns, this was done quickly, cleanly. Yeah. But look, look, I loved the ending of this movie. So don't misinterpret me there. What I'm, what I'm only disagreeing with is when he takes her and he hits her on the mantelpiece and then he takes her to the phone and then smacks her into the phone. And then, and then he takes her to the different. counter and he hits her on the counter. And I think there's four separate spots that he hits her multiple times into. Yeah. This is not brutal. a cowboy. This isn't an archetype of anything. This is a, this is a Tarantino archetype. This is Tarantino. So, so yeah, shit out of so, yeah may, maybe if I could, uh, I, I guess, clarify what, what I was trying to say earlier, because I, I realized I probably wasn't communicating very clearly. I what kind of where I'm at with the with the Cliff Booth cowboy archetype and and you know again back to back to the original question which was did he or did, did he not kill his wife and and my my final answer was it doesn't matter and and i think and i think why it doesn't matter i saw i saw cliff booth more along the lines of your john wayne and say like red river or the searchers where it's you know, it's, it's not the, it's not the small screen Roy Rogers type, but it's actually that there, there is this real tough justice, you know, brutalism about it. And, and like, and like you said a minute ago, Vito, just this, this real sense of, you know, individualism. But if that, if that lines cross, then, you know, you're dead. Right. <laughs> and so in terms of, you know, Cliff's wife, it's like, did he kill her or not? Well, he's the kind of guy who probably might kill his wife if his wife crosses a line in his mind. Yeah, he I, could I just, have I, killed I, the I, wife. I don't, I don't know yeah. why then, why, I mean, I, I don't want to like push it or anything, but I would just ask like, why, why wouldn't it matter then? You know, like that actually seems like really fundamental to his character. I, I think it, I think it doesn't matter because... I don't think it's about his wife. I think it's about, I, I think that scene tells you all you need to know, which is he could he have, mm-hmm. he could have, and I wouldn't put it past him, but that's, that's accidental to who he is. Yeah. He's a wife killer, not because he necessarily killed his wife, but because he could have and would have. And, and I guess, I guess in opposition to may, many, many other characters where, where that taking a step like that would actually like permanently redefine who they are. Right. 
with Cliff Booth, it's like hmm. he is who he is, whether or not he happened to kill his wife. Okay, there we go. Okay, I yes, I can agree. I can agree with that statement. Yeah. I think we're all on the same page on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just an yeah. emphasis on some parts and a de-emphasis yeah. on others. Yeah. Can Can I jump back? Um, and kind of like this is, I think this is really clarifying. Sort of bring bring back to sort of what what you said about about what what both the two of you said about sort of the general question about is this just you know revenge porn, and is there you know is there a character arc? Yeah, like there's clearly a. a changing character when it comes to um, Rick Dalton. And there's really not, I think all of us agree with Cliff Booth. Yeah. But I, one of the things I wonder about um, Rick Dalton's character change is, is it something in him that happens? Like, does he do anything for that? Or is that something that Cliff Booth brings about? So, you know, we're, we're talking about how like kind of the final moment of him, like re like becoming actualized is when he <laughs> lights up the hippie in his in his pool with a flamethrower. He brings out the this well, piece of machinery that, from, from a the, former movie. That's the final actualization. Yeah, it's the final actualization. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me explain. Uh, I guess where my uh, argument against him doing anything for it comes from, and then you can you can rebut um, with your butt if you want. My butt uh, will be present. <laughs> your butt will be wreathed. I promise. Rick thinks that he kind of saved the day. Right. Like and and he goes off, he has a pool party and he gets called up to Sharon Tate's house to become her friend with all these fancy movie stars. And you get the sense he's going off to have a career. And he's even like he even tells his friend who he thought he kind of set up this whole night to like say, oh, we're not going to see each other ever again. Yeah. yeah. He says, no, I'm going to go see you tomorrow. Yeah. So he's developed in terms of like his career and also himself as a person through this night and through the friendship that Cliff Booth shows him. But finally, it seems like that final moment of self-actualization, he doesn't actually do anything to the hippies. Like she would have died based on what Cliff had done. He just kind of sped up the process sort of. For sure. He did. And so like, it, it's almost representative. Like Cliff has been carrying his load. I carry, I carry his load. Yep. Um, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, and it's kind of, it, it's almost, and I think this is one of the most Hollywood things about the movie in a lot of ways is like Tarantino's got his big actors kind of showing like these big actors are great because of the small people who back them up and they like, they root for them and help them out. I mean, even just like the fact that famous action stars for the most part, they do all of the things that they're famous for by proxy through a stuntman and in the same way like finally like this final moment of actualization comes by proxy through cliff booth so i mean you know that's kind of my my sort of thesis here's my thesis you know there's not really a character change in rick in rick dalton full stop he just thinks there's one because cliff booth saves his life what do you what do you think about that jesse no. yeah exactly. all right yeah uh, well, like earlier, like minutes prior, right? He's about to sever all communication from Rick. From that whole night is about Rick severing communication from Cliff, right? And he's been stabbed with a knife, and he's never going to function again. So, like, like Rick has progressed. He's progressed beyond Cliff at this point. At the end of the movie, and that did not come from Cliff. That comes from Rick. That comes from Rick realizing that he is 
a good actor who deserves to be seen on screen instead and, of being embarrassed. By and it. to your point, to your point, the flamethrower that that was never a stunt man, right? Rick worked his ass off to learn how to use the flamethrower. And it was a bit comical, like how big of a deal it was to him to figure out how to use the thing. But he still did. He still figured out how to use it. (laughs) Yeah. Is there a way to make it less hot? Can you do anything? (laughs) Rick, it's a (laughs) flamethrower. It's so good. But, but too, and I think that, I think that this, this is actually relevant to, to, you know, what, what Mike was exploring, right. In, In terms of, in terms of the stuntman dynamic, I think that it actually is pretty significant that the flamethrower was never used by a stuntman in the first place. And so to your point now, Jesse, of mm. Rick realizing that he always had it within him is quite yeah. literally what's being manifested here with the flamethrower. Yeah. He and then flamethrow his personal hippies the whole time. Yeah. And Cliff helped him to realize that. Yeah. Just by, just yeah. by yes. firing him up a you know, yes, he got to butter yeah. up those hippies before he can fry them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then also, he at the very end, he goes to Sharon Tate's like house and party, and that is what Rick has been working for his entire life. That's why he bought a house in Hollywood. That's why it's important to live in Hollywood. And Cliff doesn't live in Hollywood; he lives in Van Nuys. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, like a loser. Okay, that came on. That came on the scene and or came on the film, and my wife was like, "Ooh, Van Nuys, I hate that place." <laughs> like, everyone, you know. This movie. <laughs> okay, that that was so nostalgic for me because my. All right, don't diss Van Nuys too much. My grandparents live there. Um, but, <laughs> right, it's a great place. I'm kidding. I've I have gone on that exit because that is an exit off the 405 and if you go on that exit right now it it's a big budweiser factory yeah. um yeah. i know and when yep yep and it's it's built there now or whatever but i was just like oh that's van Nuys, and oh <laughs> that's what it oh it I, never I, really improved did it <laughs> I feel like I feel like here we should take a poll to uh, who's been in a party in Van Nuys and it sucked. Raise your hand. Hand raised. <laughs> hand raised. All of my family parties in Van Nuys were awesome, so I can't raise my hand. Uh, <laughs> well, you had the only cool parties in Van Nuys because every time I've gone there, <laughs> I went to a good party in Van Nuys. I've got a buddy. Oh, okay. Well, shout That's out cool. to Mike's buddy in Van Nuys yeah, if you listen. Guy. Sorry, I said your time. <laughs> wow, I lost our train. Where are we? Where'd we go? Oh, oh, Rick Dalton. Sorry, uh, Rick Dalton. Sorry, I was in Van Nuys. Does now he I'm have back. an actual yeah. character arc? Or well, I, I was driving back from Van Nuys and I got here. Okay, Mike. Okay. Yeah. Also, so we're talking about the flamethrower and that's a really compelling point. But another one is the very fact that Rick leaves Cliff actually before that. That's that's why I made the point of saying it's the yeah. final actualization because Rick goes and has a whole other career without Cliff. Yeah. And we don't, we just don't see it. But he does like, like four movies. Dude, okay, that's a really no, that's a great point. I, so one of the things, one of the things that I've been kind of thinking about, has been been kind of perambulating around it up in my head, is the fact that that whole last scene when they get back home, they don't talk to each other until like he sends Cliff off and says, "Hey, you're a good friend." Well, they're busy getting drunk. They're busy being shit faced. Yeah, they're not getting drunk. They are very <laughs> drunk. They, they had, they, as Kurt Russell said, they had a good old fashioned drunk. Yeah, they had a good old fashioned <laughs> drunk, but it's a like. It's the sort of thing that you only do like with someone that you're extremely comfortable with, which they are. But it's also a little bit weird to show that in a movie. Like that's not something that you. It's like 
it's kind of like showing the most beautiful people in your movie sleeping. It's not in snoring. It's not something that you really do. I mean, the last movie that, that DiCaprio was in with Tarantino, he played a slave owner. Yeah, no, I, for sure. For sure. But I guess my point being like, this is showing that that separation. Um, oh, okay. I, I guess, I guess okay. I'm, I'm, I see what I'm you're agreeing saying. with you. You're, you're, you're convincing me that uh, my point is wrong and that yours is right. I know this doesn't happen often. It's um, only because you're stubborn. <laughs> it's only because you're stubborn. No, but uh, but like it's showing that separation. Like they are already separated, and 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 yeah, he has grown. And I mean, even just the fact that what he says is, you know, like you're a good friend. I'm going to come and visit you. Like our actual our friendship actually doesn't die when I stop paying you money. Can I can, can I say the same thing to you guys? Like if I stop paying you, would you still be my friends? <laughs> you don't pay me, so yeah. Don't lie to the viewers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but to to that point about about Cliff, like if Cliff really is a cowboy and he lives in Van Nuys in a trailer and Rick has a mansion in Hollywood, like has firmly planted himself, then Cliff is a guy who at any moment is going to leave town. And now that he's severed ties with Rick, I think he's going to leave town. I don't think they're going to be friends anymore. I think he's going to walk away in that trailer. Well, drive away. And then wave goodbye to everything and drive off into the sunset. It's possible, but I, I don't know. I got the sense, I kinda, like, I, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, we're we're in a fairy tale. Like, yeah, reality says that's what's going to happen, but also there's a part of reality that says, like, no, Rick goes off and he has an illustrious movie career and he's able to continue to afford to pay for a gopher. Like, that's a thing. Kurt, Kurt Russell's voice breaks in and says, "Actually, he didn't go. He miraculously made, made a full recovery. Yeah. Look, here he is doing doing DiCaprio stunts again in the new movie. I'm yeah. sorry." Rick Dalton stunts in a new movie. Yeah. Brad Pitt is. I mean, sorry, Cliff Booth <laughs> Wait, I'm Kurt Russell. Okay, this is a meta movie and we just got <laughs> Well, that, that's where that's where I was kind of coming from with the uh, the Clint Eastwood parallel. And and I don't know, you know, if you if you like uh, listen to some of Tarantino's interviews, I'm not he, he doesn't seem to be really pushing the Clint Eastwood angle and and he seems to be more focusing on the the lesser known you know, B movie Western actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's like, I mean, take, take this for with a grain of salt. I mean, I guess, but like in terms of the history, like Rick Dalton's career lines up perfectly with Clint Eastwood's up to the point where we cut off here. And, and Clint Eastwood has now become a huge star and goes on to make, you know, millions of, of movies and direct his own films and all this after that. So, like, who's to say this is not what's in store for Rick Dalton as well? For sure. Especially now hooked up with Roman Polanski. I mean, yeah, maybe 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 if Sharon Tate isn't murdered horribly by uh, by a cult. Maybe Roman Polanski uh, doesn't rape a 14 year old and 13. then has to spend 13 year old and then spend the rest of his career in Europe evading the law. You know, maybe that maybe that wouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah maybe. You know, let's maybe. let's just go with that. I think that's also another happy <laughs> effect of this movie is that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, and, yeah he, 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 he does, like, spiral off and do all this crazy shit, and they find well, like except, a except even in the movie, they hint that Roman Polanski will still do it because they say <laughs> Jay is sticking around because when Roman inevitably oh, yeah. fucks up, he's gonna be there. <laughs> well, that that's what the jealous Steve McQueen, who's taking a run at Sharon Tate, says. <laughs> okay, how awesome is it that they, they cast Steve McQueen as Sergeant Dick Winters and also whoever he is in Succession? 
I thought that that was amazing, which is probably what people know more now. I, no, I thought it was okay. One of the things that I thought was really cool about this movie was just like all every single person is so familiar. Like yeah. even the people who like just random characters just have like these they're working actors. Everyone's like working all actor. of them. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize this beforehand, but like DiCaprio and uh, Brad Pitt, like both of them were also working actors before they became movie stars. Yeah. Like they were in TV shows and they did all of this stuff. DiCaprio, so they, was, DiCaprio was, what, what show was that? Is that Family Ties? Yeah, he was in Family Ties. Yeah. And, and, and like, yeah. I, like we said before, I think a previous episode, a uh, different director. He was in Critters. Critters yeah, yeah. 3, <laughs> I think. Yeah. I, but like my entire life, like I... I started realizing movies existed around 2000, right? Like Titanic, like these are both Titanic yeah. movie stars. Like yeah. these are incredibly huge movie stars from, from, from my entire life. But before that, Brad Pitt was in Thelma and Louise yeah. for about 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were just like, he was from the Ozarks. I, I, yeah. But so it's full of all these working actors, faces that are familiar, people who I'm like, oh yeah, he's in that show I loved when I was like 16. Yeah. Or like, hey, he, you know, this is a girl from, from like some random TV show I like now. Yeah. It's really cool that he he did that. And he showed, like, I can't imagine what the budget for this. 98 million. 98 million. And, surprisingly and Brad Pitt and DiCaprio each took a pay cut. Oh, and yeah. only walked away with 10 million each. Only 10 so. million. So. <laughs> wow. A cut yeah. for 10 million each. Yeah. That's, we'll do that's called making sacrifices for art right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but even, even like the, the small people, you know, yeah. maybe we got, we got uh, Harley Quinn Smith, you know, yeah. Kevin Smith's daughter is one of the cultists. Yeah. It's actually, many of the cultists are just really famous people's daughters. Yeah. <laughs> and just like weird, like Luke Perry, you know, rest in peace showing up yeah. very, very briefly. Uh, Tim Roth was in this movie and was cut. I can't wait till that extended version comes yeah. out where you can see what character he was. Yeah, like yeah I saw that in the credits and I was like, oh man. I do like that yeah, Tarantino so though. It's like, that's my boy. And I'm going to put him in the credits even if I say cut. Yeah. <laughs> like it's these true. guys all yeah. went into making this movie. Sorry, JP, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, you, you didn't really. All I was going to say was I'm looking forward to the extended cut also. That's all I was going to so, say. Uh, would you prefer a four hour cut or a five hour cut? Dude, five. Yeah, I four, want five. Go five. I mean, I, I say the more the better, you know. I yeah. Okay. 100%. Like Tarantino, I I think I, I I don't know Tarantino well enough, but it seems like he probably edits his own movies, and so I have to think like if he edited, he does not down. He does not. Oh, uh, you know what? I'm just going to assume he does anyway, even though you're saying the opposite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so actually, given actually, that, given, given that Tarantino edits his movies. Uh, like I have to, I have to think that he cut down everything to the best scenes, and I feel like this whole movie is the best scene after the best scene, like we were kind of talking about yeah. earlier. So I would kind of hate to watch a longer version of this, just filled with fluff, rather than this tightly packed movie of fantastic, phenomenal scenes. So I don't think you're wrong, and I'm not going to contradict you. But the Hateful Eight is a movie I think is not good. But when I watched the version on Netflix, which is about 45 minutes longer, it it's was better. much better. It yeah. was actually a good movie. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this this should have been four hours. This should have been four hours from the start. And once it was four hours, I was like, yeah, this is this is really good. I really enjoy this. And when I watched it, I went theatrical cut, extended cut, and then I watched the theatrical cut again. And man, I hate that theatrical cut. Man, uh, that sucks. I do not enjoy so, that. So I'm, I'm curious, Vito. Um, I'll admit... I'm one of those awful people who never saw it on the big screen and only watched it once the four hour cut came out on Netflix. Sure. Um, 
I don't know how many of those people there are, but I am one of them. them. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. There's two of us. Great. Um, So what, in a nutshell, Vito, what is the, um, well, I guess the thing that, the thing that's interesting to me is, is to hear you talk about the Tarantino films in general, your, your taste is actually really articulates kind of what I, what I had been feeling about it myself was, was kind of those, those pre kill bill movies uh, not so much. Um, yeah, crucify hate- me on the internet. But... <laughs> I can't believe you don't. Remember. Oh, you right, believe. right, yeah, and and hateful eight also, and uh, not so much. But yeah. but what is what is it about the theatrical versus extended cut that you're seeing? The theatrical cut, they just don't exist long enough to be anything more than what I would say are pastiches of of characters. You get very strong moments with all of them. You get reasons to hate all of them, uh, and that's kind of all. You, you don't have enough to either hate them all and also understand what they're doing or love anyone or have any feeling about anyone except like this. I hate everyone here and I don't want to yeah. watch them. And I'm tired oh. of this movie, but the yeah. longer so, the movie so, gets, to be clear, to be clear yes, yes, in yes, the yes. theatrical version, it's the hateful eight, but in the Netflix version, it's the hateful and loveful eight. No, it's, yes. it's the misunder- <laughs> it's the misunderstood eight on the Netflix version. It, they're at not least, evil. They're just misunderstood. <laughs> it makes you like give a shit, and that's nice. And if, if it takes you four hours to, to make you give a shit about characters, maybe you should rewrite this. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, you should hear more, Vito. No, you shouldn't. I, I don't know. know. Yeah, you, not even you can hold up. That yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw that away. Um, well, can I? Can I really quick? Can I really quick loop back with via the hateful eight? back to once upon a time in Hollywood um, and, and point out Kurt Russell in hateful eight is, is your quintessential John Wayne archetype down to the very delivery of his lines, very down to the very lines themselves. Yeah. Actual John Wayne lines. You'll, you'll hear him say, um, except for, you know, all the additions of, of the, the racial epithets (laughs) and the bitches. Sure. Sure. that he says and then i agree with you yeah if, if you take yeah. out everything that he says that's bad he sounds like john wayne <laughs> fair fair enough yeah um i guess i'm thinking in particular that that one um you know that'll be the day line you always, you always oh, deliver yeah. that one um straight from john wayne uh so so but bringing back to this um the hollywood movie it i i just thought it was a great pick to have kurt russell as the narrator both with his both with his ties to kind of that that cowboy archetype and and also just just to the fact that that Kurt Russell himself was a what you know was in Hollywood around this time um there's a famous picture of of Kurt Russell I if I remember correctly Kurt Russell I think kicking Elvis in the shin or something ridiculous <laughs> right um <laughs> have you guys that- seen that picture it's, it's a great it's a great picture was was that when he was a kid or was he a little bit older? Yeah, yeah when he's when he's a kid, yeah. And, and um and they were on and, and he and Elvis were on were in some western together. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah, you I, know what's funny? You bringing up Kurt Russell, like <laughs> right before we did this podcast, like last week or whatever, we we saw what Bone Tomahawk? Oh dear. Yeah. Oh, bone Tomahawk. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And Kurt Russell is amazing in that movie. And then 
there it's similar to once upon a time in Hollywood there were there's just crazy violence at the end but not just violence just utter gore and people being split apart and intestines falling out it, it was a, a Hall- Halloween night that's why we were watching it but then we saw that and I was like oh man what's upon a Hall- once upon a time in Hollywood is really tame no it's really it, tame it, it actually it made me appreciate Tarantino's violence is actually something beautiful to look at in a way by comparison to this which was just too, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it as, you know uh no i'm yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of bone tomahawk for sure i would never pitch that as a as a not your father's movie can we talk a little bit about the violence in this movie i mean we've talked a little bit about it again i don't know i just want to give a brief shout out to the scene with the hippies in the car when they're talking like I, one of my one of my favorite scenes, but when they're talking about how how Hollywood trained them trained to them into this violence, they trained us to kill, man. Like Tarantino is <laughs> doing a lot of things with this movie. There's a lot of like statements that he's making, but one of them is definitely about violence and about like he's been targeted as like causing horrible violence sure. and, and like school shootings and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, I kind of think that I mean, like that scene's hilarious with the hippies because we do that. We're like, oh, hey, that was. That was that guy from that movie, wasn't yeah. it? The guy who just yelled at me. Like, dude, that's so cool. We're in yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, I love it that that's what they say. And then there's yeah. that girl in the back who's just like, dig this. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we've been getting high, I've been just thinking about, like, you know, killing all the movie stars that taught us to kill. And where are we? We're in fucking Hollywood, man. <laughs> Let's go kill them. I feel like that entire conversation up to the point where she's like, so let's go kill them is like, oh yeah, that's a conversation that about 10 million people have had. Like that's yes. exact, that exact conversation has happened in Hollywood 10 million times. Um, wow, you, you mean, think you mean before, before, yes. before the let's go kill them? Yes. Before the let's go kill them. I was missing that. Like the, when I, why I've been thinking a lot about how they've trained us into violence and then oh, like yeah. cut, like that's where it cuts. I think like it goes I, into a normal human interaction. I think there's 10 people that I'm friends with on Facebook who said that to me that yeah. I don't talk to anymore. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, as is, is a matter of fact, that that was actually based on something one of the Manson family said um, oh, really? in court. Yet that like one of their reasons for doing this uh, apparently was, you know, watching gun smoke and, and oh. being tired of the violence or something. I, I don't know. I can't remember the exact quote, but it, it, this was based on a real thing that somebody in the Manson family had said. Yeah. Just the fact that someone cites gun smoke in anything, but a positive way makes me really angry. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Well, actually Tarantino said he, he got most of those lines, you know, not, not from that night or whatever, but listening to interviews with all of them afterwards, because those people are still alive and still talking. Yeah. And those are all things that they said around that time. Uh, apparently, apparently the, said, but the, yeah. the, the, I'm the devil line actually was said that. Yeah. Night. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, but I'm unfortunately really there's no one there to say, no, it's dumber than that. I'm really glad that there was a dog to bite that guy's nards off. Then. Yeah. Really happy about that. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I think we've had a pretty, pretty good discussion so far about a variety of confusing and tangential topics and well some that are actually pretty on point so yay us uh did you have any any last ones mike no man we're good okay we tap we tap the well we tap the well wow i never thought we'd oh. get to the end of these questions it's amazing okay i've got a million other questions but like we're not gonna we talk about it well then yeah, I, I have a question 
to jump yeah. into then because we're doing the Hollywood series, the LA series, right? So we should talk a little bit about how this version of what's unique to this version of Hollywood. What does it bring into the table? Like, what is this place? Yeah. Um, so what do you guys, how, how is Hollywood represented in this movie? So I, I would say it's represented in a lot of ways, the same way that its characters are. It's represented as, as kind of unpredictable, aspirational. This is a place where, where dreams can happen, where fairy tales are made. And it's also a place where, you know, great evil happens in the dark and behind the scenes. Um, I think this is actually a pretty, it's a fairly optimistic portrayal of what the real Hollywood is. But there's also a lot of that work a day. Uh, you know, I'm a working actor. I come to set. I do this stuff. It actually is kind of like a job. There's when you do the TV stuff. There's not a ton of money in it. That you know, it's it's not as as glorious as it may seem to so many people because you know you might be able to get a guest spot on a TV show or something. You might be a known actor, but maybe you only do two or three things a year, and maybe they're not that big, and you have kind of a fallow year, and you you don't really make that much money, and you, you maybe can't afford that giant house that you have. But it's about appearances. But there is real magic here, too. I, I think it strikes a really good balance, maybe erring on the side of optimism. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of surprisingly optimistic, I think. Yeah. 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 Like, when I was watching this, I was just noticing, like, he has a lot of, like, 60s things in there. And usually most of Hollywood is shown while Cliff is driving. And what you're seeing in the background are all the, the cool stores or, or it's Sharon Tate walking through town, like so full of joy and life. And every time you see a glimpse of this town, you're just like, this is a place that I want to be, that I want to live, that, yeah, it's a place you want to aspire to, which is not how I see Hollywood anymore at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then there's that, there's that line that, uh, Rick Dalton says where if in order to make it into this town, like you need to own property, you need to have a presence here. Like you need to be a permanent fixture. You can't just be a guy passing through. You need to be like one with this place in order, in order to end up making it, which is probably why he doesn't want to go do spaghetti Westerns in the first place, because he'd have to you leave know, Hollywood. An interesting aside on that line. Um, I was reading this and, and, and JP, you probably know this, but apparently I probably was part of that, that thing that the, the, one of the Manson family members was saying a testimony that you, you mentioned earlier, but so like Manson targeted that house, right? Because uh, um, there was a music producer who had decided not to produce him or something like that or not to sign him. Yeah. Uh, so and, wait, like, yeah, JP knows show. all about this. <laughs> so Terry Melcher uh, was the, was the music producer uh, produced the birds, a number of other bands um, actually was Doris Day's son. So so anyway, he yeah, so he he had lived in that house but fled to England because uh Charlie Manson scared the shit out of him. He Here, fled. He fled to England. He was not in that house because he had to because leave of because of Charlie Manson. And and so why Charlie picked that house, probably knowing full well that Melcher was no longer there, is is your guess as good as mine. But but you may ask why why this association between the two in the first place? Well, the Beach Boys gave us Charlie Manson. The Beach I Boys. That, I will say that again. The Beach Boys <laughs> gave the world Charlie Manson by accident, of course. <laughs> no no, no good vibrations there at all. Uh, oh, 
Question. Uh, in this story, you know, who are the heroes and villains? Oh, oh, the man. I love it. Love it. That, there's a deep reference right there. <laughs> Only a true fan can make that reference. <laughs> the uh, the story is that that uh, Dennis Wilson, the the Beach Boys drummer, was was driving along one day, picked up a couple chicks, took them to his mansion, went out for some groceries or something, came back, and the whole Manson family had moved in. As mm. it goes, oh, that's awesome. you know, uh, love it. As it 70s, goes, one, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's great if you want you know if you want some more. Um, inside dirt on this you got to read uh mike love's autobiography he's the lead singer of the beach boys there's some really interesting stuff in there but we're (laughs) we're not and you'd like to pay us that'd be great but just in case jp so it's mike love and the title of the autobiography is it's good vibrations as a matter of fact Um, easy yeah so these are the these are the not good vibrations part of the good vibrations At the name of the chapter, the not good vibrations part of the good vibrations book. That's good. That's good. There you go. That's a, that's a great. That's a good joke, Mike. Thank you. And anyway, long story short, as you mentioned earlier, Charlie Manson had some real um, songwriting chops and tried to get in with the band. And and believe it or not, the Beach Boys actually recorded the song that Charlie Manson wrote. I kid you not. Uh, Never learn not to love. By the way, that's a Charlie Manson song. <laughs> I, well, it's better than the original title, which was Cease to Exist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think didn't too on the nose, maybe. <laughs> and and um, so anyway, the Beach Boys were were like this this guy's a disaster. You know, try try to get rid of him. And so like like good friends do, they pawned him off on their good friend Terry Melcher and said, "Here, you take him. We can't we can't deal with this guy." And Terry's like, I don't want this guy. He's awful. And and so that that made Charlie Manson angry. And and as you know, just like just like apparently Hitler was once a failed art oh, student, you, Charlie you, Manson was a failed musician who was just you know unhappy I was, about I this. I was gonna say, so Charlie Manson's mind comp was cease to exist. Like yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. I've got to be fair though. I actually listened to a recording of Charlie Manson singing. Yeah, and he sounds pretty good. Not bad. It's actually not bad. I, yeah. It's on Spotify or YouTube. It's everywhere. You can find it. You can listen yeah. to it on your way home. I would I'm not, not recommend going to. it. But I'm not going to. It's it's it's, it's okay. Well, no. You know what's weird? It's not that creepy. It's normal. Know, so I I heard this. So before the podcast, I listened to another podcast by a, a Rolling Stones editor who reviewed and recorded a lot of stuff with Charlie Manson. No way. Yeah. And there's a lot of phone calls and a lot of recordings that he just has with the guy. And that dude is really creepy and really evil. And then he played a song that Charlie Manson wrote. And it's like, this doesn't sound like the same dude. He sounds like a 60s rock star. I can't believe that this is like, there's a reason why Charlie Manson probably thought he hadn't in with the music industry and it's because he sounded all right. Oh, that's well, that's good. Uh, good perspective. I'm <laughs> like Hitler who was actually not that great of an artist. Yeah. Know? Hitler. Yeah, not so, great. So, Manson. so cut the beach boys some slack for hanging out with him for a while. You know what? Yeah. It, it well, took a while to figure it out. 
Anyway, so both both Dennis and Terry get mentioned in the movie when uh, the Charlie Manson character goes to goes to the house and talks to Jay Sebring and, and says, hey, I'm friends with Dennis Wilson and Terry Melcher. Yeah, it's a cool reference. And, and the last the last little uh, nugget I'll, I'll leave you with is the story goes after they're falling out, uh, Melcher threatened Dennis again, Dennis Wilson being the drummer of the Beach Boys. Excuse me, not Melcher, Manson. Manson threatened Dennis. Um, so again, we have the notorious Charlie Manson threatening a beach boy. And so what does Dennis do? He beats the crap out of him. Oh. That's the story. No way. Um, yep. Dennis Dennis Wilson beat the crap out of Charlie Manson. So so there is there is a little bit of once upon a time in Hollywood in real oh. life. Wow. So I guess I guess when he was playing surfing in the USA, he was just building up those guns. Yeah. And then when Manson came along, he's like, "No way, Jose! I'm putting you down." And Charlie Manson was like, "What about all is one, man?" <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I just that. I'll, I'll write it down and send it out as fanfic later. You know, interesting little another interesting aside that's going to derail us further, possibly. Thanks, Mike. But hopefully not. <laughs> this just stay here. Um, the guy who plays Charles Manson in this movie also plays Charles Manson in the great show, which has been unfortunately canceled. Probably yes. Mindhunter. Um, yeah. Because it's the most expensive show ever, which is really weird. I know it really da- Damon, Damon Harriman, Damon right? Harriman. Yeah. 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 And he's, he also played a crazy uh, Nazi in justified with Timothy. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Then two other crazy fun facts. Cause we just did uh trial of the chicago seven recently and while i was looking up that movie i found out that jerry rubin who was a defendant of the trial of chicago seven he was good friends with manson um and also just want to point out that the sharon tate murders go on at the same time that the trial of the chicago seven is happening historically oh which means talked about that yeah yeah, you mentioned it. Yeah. In 1969, then, the death of the hippie movement came around because of this and because of the trial of Chicago 7, where they started all those riots oh. and then were found guilty of it. Well, this, can't help it. This, is, this is why we second. chose to do this movie all along. <laughs> uh, I wish. I wish. We're not that smart. Uh, no. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> oh man uh all right well thank you for derailing mike but it actually was oh, really fun yeah oh, no, it was no, a fun derail continue just derailing. to go no no to go back to get us back on the rails I, I remember where we came from i just remembered where we came from okay. i think all right all we were right, talking about back. hollywood yeah um how it's portrayed yeah. in once upon a time in hollywood what right. is hollywood as a character what is la as a character in, in once upon a time who, in hollywood? who, who didn't answer you know, actually, I'm going to say something that I know less oh about gosh. than you do. So I'm going to go first, and then you're going to go. <laughs> okay, it's a lot of pressure here, but okay. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I've been, like, at home for, like, two weeks, and I just got out. They, they just let me out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Michael was in the cage. <laughs> yeah, Mike was in the cage. I got in the cage. The kids were running the asylum. It's an asylum now. Uh <laughs> Okay, no, just just really quick. Uh, I I mentioned it a little bit earlier. It it seemed like it was a very familiar Hollywood, which is something I didn't expect coming from a movie that was about like fifty years ago, because partly because all of the actors are extremely familiar actors. Not all of them are you know top bill, 
But the top build actors in this movie are top bill. Yeah. Top of the top. Cream of the crop. Yeah. But then also like driving around. So much of this movie is driving around. There's so yeah. much window dressing in this movie. I, I, I felt like there was a moment where I was like, you know, this is like, we don't need this. We don't need all this stuff. And I'm, I'm often like a, a bit of a cynic when it comes to things that you don't need in a movie. Like just cut it, get rid of it. Like we could have made this movie in an hour and a half and we could have gotten out of here. But this movie, I was like, no, this is this is beautiful and I like it. And it also feels extremely familiar to the way L.A. has looked to me when I've been driving around. It didn't feel like they'd gotten rid of as, uh, of as much scenery as I would have expected. And it seemed very much like he was trying to make Hollywood present and real to me now. Mm-hmm. Hollywood of just before the Manson murders. Hollywood when it was, I think in his mind, at its prime. Idyllic. Yeah, most idyllic. And and he says, this is what it could be. We could have Rick Dalton today, but because this happened, we don't have him. That was my impression of it. And I, I think a lot of that is making real sort of these uh, these archetypes that were built at those times, um, making uh, making them simple and, and pretty. And I think that, that was really cool. I, I really appreciated that on his part. That's my take on it. Good take. JP, I really want to hear what you have to say now. Gosh, I mean, I, I think I, I can only just agree with you. Um, a couple of points just just in, in support of what you're saying. I, I I remember Tarantino got a little bit of flack for the Sharon Tate character not having a lot of dialogue. And and I know his, his um, you know, snippy response to a reporter got a lot of headlines and all that. But if, if you actually look at what he you know, says in, in more, at more length, it it was an intentional choice to just let Sharon Tate be, um, to just let her exist and, and, and gosh, just like experience what could have been. And, and it's, it's, it's really, um, it's really heartbreaking in a way, but it's also, it's, it's something really beautiful. Um, the, the way he chooses to portray her is, is this, this real treasure that was lost. And let's just have, can we just have another couple hours with this, with this beautiful person? Right. And that's, that's the way he, she's presented. I think, and I think in a, in a larger sense, that's the way Hollywood is presented too. uh, to your point, Mike. And, and, thinking about the just the way the movie ends with those the the final uh the those musical notes at the end uh when when it when it comes up on the screen once upon a time in hollywood and and those and and listening to just the the i don't know the tonality of that music you, you go is this you know is this foreboding is this joyful yeah. it's i think it's wistful I think that's what it is. And it's, it's wistful. And, and you go like, this is, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing (laughs) bad about to happen in the movie, but at the same time, there's a tone of sadness that like, we know this isn't the way it was. Yeah. The gate like creaking open. It's like, that's a classic, like, like a horror movie sort of sound and like the, the tone comes in. It's like, kind of like, Oh, well, well, the final, the final shot is it follows him up. Right. Yeah. It it cranes above the house. Yeah. And then the Sharon comes out in a long t-shirt with the friends. Right. And then the two cars. And I like though that it was, it's, you're right. The tone is, is something. I don't know what the tone is. Maybe it's, maybe it's horror, but but just the fact that that she's there 
and she seems so vulnerable, but she's like safe behind the fence. She's safe because yeah. Rick's outside yeah. and he comes in. I, I, only, I only got a sense of security. I think, I think so. I think that's true. But I think that what, like to follow up on your point, JP is, is like, it's like, this is so close to like, this could have happened. She could yeah. have had that yeah. angry, drunk, yeah. unhappy yeah. neighbor who had finally started to realize himself. Mm. Um, who had stopped yeah, it from that's, happening. That's, 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 that's all exactly it what I was, what I was trying to say yeah, is, is it was very much a sense of like what could have been. And 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 yeah, and to, and to what you're saying now, Mike, about that—that that was the other thing I was I was gonna kind of point out—is—is, is, I mean, what what do we say about the Cowboys, right? What do we say about Cliff Booth, who seems to, in in maybe one sense, be a kind of cowboy? I mean, certainly Rick Dalton, who wants to be a cowboy, is reading all the, you know, pun intended, the pulp fiction about <laughs> cowboys, right? Dang, um, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, what what do we say about that? It and it's it seems like it it does it doesn't seem like we we ought to say that this is the the ideal. But gosh, there's something about it. It seems like it seems like society, at least that society, needed it in that moment. It needed guys like that. You know, like you said, the angry drunk who's trying to figure himself out. But like getting the job done and and i, I don't know it's it's well, there's something interesting about that i think you need the guy who has figured himself out at this point like it's only because he's figured himself out and reaches for the flamethrower that maybe he he ends up saving the day otherwise maybe i don't know maybe she would have shot him i don't okay. know what she really would have done so so what so what is it what do you think what does it say about the cowboy archetype or does it i well i think going back to the hollywood question I think it might be a reference to that a little bit because it seems like what you lose in the sixties, some point is there were, there were these movies and shows that definitely knew what they were, what they were doing. And nowadays we have movies and a lot of the, I, I'm not going to name a lot of, you know what? Maybe this is way too broad of a stretch, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Um, it seems like you have movies that have no idea what they are or what they're doing, and they become blockbusters anyway. And it seems like you've lost the real art of filmmaking. And it seems like maybe, maybe to some degree, even though the the pulpy '60s stuff maybe not technically as good, you kind of are drawn to that anyway because it just knows exactly what it is at all times. Which would explain why Al Pacino's characters is like a connoisseur of these pulpy movies, right? Because there's something about them that's real and authentic. Yeah, I gotta admit, like as soon as I Watch heard him talking, on- when when I heard him talking about watching the 14 fifths of McCluskey, I was just like, I really want to break out some cognac and watch the 14 fifths of McCluskey right now. I don't care how pulpy that movie is. That's the sort of movie I want to watch. On 35 millimeter, no less. On 35 millimeter. Yeah, got to do it on 35 With some Cubans, no less. All right, well, I think uh, I think that kind of does it for us, I think. Right? I mean, I, I, I've I cast out for lingering strands before. I, I'm I think, scared to now. I'm scared you know, to ask. I think, you know, I, think I, think I think we reel yeah. in. I think we have to. Yeah. 
Wait, you don't you don't want any more like Beach Boys drummer beating up Charlie Manson stories? I mean, I mean story, if you got another one, go ahead. I'm just scared, no, I, I'm just scared I, that I we're, we're gonna like lose ourselves for another twenty minutes. You know what, <laughs> you know what Vito? You've already cast out the net. You've cast out the rod. You've already caught those big fish. You can only get smaller ones from here on out. So just reel it back in. All right, I'm reeling it in. in. I'm reeling it in. And if you guys got anything left, guess what? There'll be an aftermath episode at some point. Um, But so number one question then, is this a dad movie? JP, would you like to go first? I would love to. Um, Yes. Yes, it is. Beautiful. (laughs) I mean, I, I think that I would be, I would exercise some discretion on particular moments on when and if I show them to my children. But I would say, I guess my my notion of a dad movie, I think about the kind of movies that I saw as a kid. And, and you know, there there were, I remember I watched The the Untouchables as a, as, movie as rules. yeah, it, it does. <laughs> and I, I was pretty young when I saw it. And, and you know, there, there were parts where my dad was like, nope, can't watch this part. Um, I think the baseball bat. <laughs> he's going to get his, his head beaten in with the baseball bat. Yeah, yeah the baseball <laughs> bat scene was, was definitely <laughs> off limits for me at that point, uh, whatever age I was. But yeah, and, and so I guess the way I think about it is, you know, on the whole, will this movie be a, a really meaningful experience for a child? And yeah, a hundred percent, one hundred percent with this movie. What? What? You want to go next, Jesse? Sure. Yeah. To be honest, I'm not sure if it'll really mean much to my kids. Like, I'm. I'm not. E- I don't even think I like the movie because I'm thinking of my kids. I just like the movie because I like this movie, <laughs> and I. I don't even know what it is. Everything about it just rings dad to me. <laughs> like it's all these scenes, all these lines, like all of this is sort of filmmaking that I've grown up watching both, both past, like watching like the TMC movies and then the, the pulpy like sixties TV shows that they reference so much in this movie. And then like, it's all brought into like this modern style of filmmaking that I've grown to love and appreciate brought up with the, the like, and it's made with the snappiest dialogue like quintessentially this is like the movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I get, sorry to jump back in. I I guess it to, and and that's kind of the point I was, I was trying to make is, is between the music and the, the Westerns alone, like this is Mm. the kind of, this is the kind of American art that I would want my kids to be brought up in anyway. And, and so, you know, letting them watch Mm. those, you know, those Lone Rangers, those, you know, Steve McQueen movies, you know, li- listening to the Beach Boys and the Mamas and the Papas, <laughs> you know, it's like, like, that's the kind of thing I would want my kids to be exposed yeah. to anyway. And so then having it all in a movie <laughs> with, with, you know, frankly, probably my favorite director. <laughs> I mean, at, at this point, I think it's, I, gosh, I can't think of a director I enjoy more than Quentin Tarantino. Like, yeah. To me, it's just it's just all the all the great stuff rolled into one, as you said, Jesse. It's it's the yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, I I think you just summed up what I think about too. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, there's parts of it that are for sure. I mean, like, you're watching these people like 
like I love the way Cliff Booth watches TV. That's the way I watch TV with my kids. I'm like, oh yeah, like oh no, you don't mean that, you know. And like he's talking to the people on TV, like oh why not? It's like oh is that Malibu? That's Malibu, right? You know, like like commenting you on do things. Do that? It's weird. I, I don't. <laughs> so like I don't usually do that. My wife was like, you do that now. You used to hate me when I did that. Um, it's true. Your wife does that as well. But yeah. She, she does it more than you. Not anymore. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's like, it's not fair that you can do that. And you get mad at me for doing that. I said, that's, you're right. And, Sorry, then, and, then, and then you burnt. <laughs> and, then, and then said, look at that. That looks like Van Eyes. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. So I, like, it's this very, like a lot of things that I'm like, oh, I identify with that as like a, you know, as an adult male. This movie is very much about adult males. But... I feel like it's too meta to be a, a real dad movie. It's too like, I want my kids to be exposed to those things as well, but I can expose them to it by actually showing them those things. I can, I can expose them to it by showing them John Wayne movies. And I don't, I don't think that like, this is something that comes, if it comes, comes much later in life. But then, you know, there's definitely Quentin Tarantino's that I want to show them when they get older, when they get, you know, older teenage years, I don't think this ranks with them in, in the same way. It's something that I, I wonder, you know, it could become iconic. I don't know if it does. Um, yeah. And that, that's kind of my, my take on it. I mean, I think, I think that's a good take. And on, like, I totally get not ever really wanting to show your kids this movie, not there's a lot of movies that I really like that I just don't even care about showing my kids, but simply because that's like, there are some movies where that's really important for me. Like I really need my kids to see star Wars and I'm going to show it to them. And yeah. I'm going to watch the dark Knight with them and Lord yeah. of the Rings and Spider-Man. There's a lot of dad movies coming up guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then this is a movie apart from that. This is just a movie that, even if I see that my kids growing up will never really like get along with this movie or really like it. This is just my movie. This, this will be the movie where, you know, mom ushers the kids out of the room and says, all right, dad's watching his movie right now. You, you guys go. And that's fine with me because that's I cool. just enjoy this movie that much. Yeah. I, I think that I, I, I hear, I hear one thing you're saying, Mike, for sure that, that, your your child has to have experienced this culture to some extent mm -hmm. um, ahead of time, you know. And in, in, in spite of what you know, what a great movie this is in its own right. Like, I got to be honest, half the enjoyment of it, at least, is just knowing the culture that it's riffing on, right? And and if you don't if you don't know that culture, I mean, you're you're definitely missing out on a lot. And so I, I think there is. I think that for that reason alone, it, it maybe is a later dad movie, you know, mid teens dad movie, not even just not for the content, even just, just for that reason, right. Is, is you just need to kind of have a sense of what, what the culture is, mm -hmm. I think. But, but then to Jesse's point, I mean, I, that, that's kind of the bottom line for me is, is for me, it's a dad movie because, this is this would be a way of me being able to say this is who I am, right? You want if you want to understand me, watch this movie. This is this is what I live yeah. and breathe yeah. and love. Cool, that's awesome. 
I don't quite have that same relationship to it. Um, I've got a, a close relationship to it and to the things. Right. In it, sure. But but not not that deep. That's really cool. Sure. Yeah. What about you, Vito? Uh, I'm going to strike a middle ground. In as much as I, uh, I I'm with JP, and I, I grew up with this with these things that it references. I grew up loving them. Uh, watching so many old westerns was just a big thing for me growing up with my family and with my dad. And um, I've seen hundreds of westerns from all the different stars, all the TV shows too, with the exception of Bonanza. We weren't a big Bonanza family, and I'm okay with that now that I'm older. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> Not a fan of Bonanza. Wow. Uh, wow. All right. Yeah, yeah. Hot, hot takes from Vito about a TV show that's like 50 years old. Don't like it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I like you know, Bonanza. I'll just passive aggressively say, okay. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> great, great. Well, maybe maybe at some point uh, on on the episode that no one will listen to, we'll talk about Bonanza. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. But but for but for Rawhide, uh, for the Virginian, for the Big Valley, for Gunsmoke, for yeah, just any of the the Western TV shows and any of the Western movies from Eastwood to John Wayne to Jimmy Stewart to Steve McQueen to Lee Cleef to just everybody, I love the material of this movie a lot. And I love how it makes me feel just at the end of the day. I love how I feel yeah. when I watch this movie. Yeah. And I love that. I love that idea that I can turn this on and get involved at any point. And it is important to me in that way. Um, but like Jesse's saying, I don't feel particularly attached to showing this to my kids. Um, maybe, maybe if it happens to happen, if they happen to be old enough, if they happen to have seen the things that are in it, because like I was just raised with just such a, a dedication to the material in this movie, all the different things it references that I, I'm not going to replicate that with my kids. I mean, I already am not doing it. It's not that I don't love them. Just times have changed. And so I show them some of the things, you know, the cream of the crop, but I'm not going to go back and say like, all right, uh, here's the four seasons of the big Valley. And we're going to start from episode one. I'm not doing that. Uh, you know, you, like, you got to understand where Barbara Stanwyck came from. Damn it. But I am going to do that. Why sometimes. not, man? Why not? Like, that sounds like a totally normal thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like what people should do with their kids, actually. So, Replicate their entire childhood because it's perfect. Right. So uh, for this one, I'm just going to go 50-50 on it. Um, I'm going to say I will go with the majority. Uh, whoever votes for it, it being a dad movie did not. I have no strong feeling either way. I My kids will probably watch this with me at some point when they're older, but I'm not going to make a big deal out of it until the time comes. And I'll be like, oh, shoot, you guys, this is a movie I really love. I just, I don't feel yeah. any burning need in me. This movie feels timeless and ageless, and it feels like it's going to be around for eternity. Well, I didn't know we could be 50-50. I thought this was a yes or no. I, I yeah, mean, this like, is, well, well, this is basically yes or no, Vito. This is yes or no. Uh, gotta, as as one of the start. three people that started this podcast, <laughs> I'm making a ruling here. Uh, <laughs> Wait, and my ruling rules. is I, I go with majority. That's what I'm doing. But the majority ruled that you have to pick a side. No, because there's three of you. No, the majority ruled that it's a dad movie. So Vito thereby voted it was a dad movie. That's what I just said. All right, all right. I'll let it go. I'll let it go. Overruled. Sustained. Sustained. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks for letting my perfectly reasonable request go through, you assholes. <laughs> I, I, will, I will add this caveat. Like, I will watch, like, this is one of the few movies where I, I, I could think, like, I'll watch the middle half of this movie just, like, randomly. Oh, I would 100%. turn that on. I would yeah, just yeah. turn on any scene in this movie yeah. and be like, yeah. I'd go to my kid and be like, hey, do you want to see a perfectly filmed scene? Let me show you. And I'd turn yeah. on like any scene in this movie. For sure. At almost any age. 
Yeah. Not almost yeah. any age. They cuss a lot. See, but I, I um, guess, <laughs> I guess, well, my dad had those movies that he would watch. I, I can't think of all of them. He he would just watch certain movies and it just, I would walk in the room as a little kid, be like, oh, dad's watching one of his movies and then walk out. Like, I wasn't interested. I didn't care. Really but, cool. I never did that. I would always like sneak in and then watch it. Yeah. Like that's amazing <laughs> I, that your dad had that kind I, of power. I would, yeah. I always got I want that power. Out, but, yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> I want that power. You, you like you, you wait there and you just see like, how long can I get away with this? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. hundred yeah. percent. Well, I, I just mean like, I, 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 I got to get Star Trek, Star Trek first contact uh, enough oh, time. Yeah. I'd already seen it. <laughs> like, but my dad, like that was one of the movies where I'd just be like, Oh, you know, maybe I'll stick around, but I'll probably, I, I don't need to watch this movie again, but he would watch it, you know, that was one of his movies or even, even when I was younger, like the good, the bad and the ugly, like that was yeah. another like classic. That was definitely one of those. For one of too. my dad movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'd watch it and be like, wow, this scene is going on for a really long time. And my dad is really into this. I'm going to go play with my blocks or whatever, or Legos. <laughs> um, and then he would just sit there and, watch his movie and that's what this movie is to me this is one of those movies where the kids are going to mm. walk in and be like oh dad's watching one of his movies now and mm. then leave and that's why i consider this a dad movie all right and, then, and i and, respect that and i, I think we already answered the age always. question too is yeah, yeah. Oh, um yeah. i i don't yeah. even, i don't even think we can nail an age down here just older yeah just kind of whenever you feel like it's 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 such a it's extreme at times you know, I mean, it's it's a really it's really cerebral, man. I mean, more than more than you would expect off the bat. I mean, just because there's like it, it's it's so funny, but then you realize like, oh wait, like most people probably wouldn't get the jokes. You have to, <laughs> I mean, like like to go back to the beginning, right? Like you have to be in on the jokes to get them. Yeah, you guys, you you Mike Jesse, you guys think it just older. Yeah, older, older yeah. if at all, older, mid to older teens for sure. Yeah, I'm de- definitely, definitely like a mid to older, yeah. older is what I'm thinking. Yeah, <laughs> mid to older, <laughs> whenever that mid is. to older, young, like eighteen <laughs> is young still. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, eight, no, I was thinking around eighteen ish. It also depends on the temperament on, of the kid. Yeah, yeah it's for for ones like this and like and like for it too. I feel like we kind of struggled with that one a little bit too. It's just like. Older is is the best I can come up with, especially for something like this. I, w- I might even be more comfortable with my kids seeing it before seeing this, and that might be crazy, but that is crazy. Like, well, yeah. also like of this group, like I think my daughter is the oldest, and she's four. Yeah, yeah. Like like we just have no experience with yeah. teenage kids True. yet, and I'm well, not looking forward to it. <laughs> it'll be crazy, oh, it'll be fun. but I have no idea what to expect or yeah. what movies I'll even like when they're yeah, teenagers. I was, I was thinking about that earlier today because I, I was I was anticipating this this question. Uh, well, what's what's it going to be exactly like? TikTok the movie? Like <laughs> right, what the right. hell? <laughs> oh, David Fincher is going to make like a biopic about um, about whoever founded TikTok. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> that guy. Oh man, oh, gosh. Sorry to. No one knows. <laughs> Not even the people who China. use TikTok know. China made it, right? China yes. made it. I would believe that. Yeah. Oh, David Fincher's China. <laughs> I would watch that. That would be amazing. That would be incredible. The, the story of TikTok. China, the story of TikTok. There we go. That's yeah. an amazing movie. We got to yeah. make it. Yeah. All, right, all, right, got, all right. David I'm, Fincher, it's your next movie. I'm, I'm calling a hard pause <laughs> on bits, shenanigans, jokes, 
quotes, <laughs> references. Guys, we are at officially our longest episode by like oh. a lot. <laughs> and we've said that successively every single episode. Well, for <laughs> only the last three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, we got to wrap this up. I'm going to say no more closing things. If we got closing things, save them for the aftermath, guys. All right. But for Not Your Father's Movies, I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Jesse. And I'm JP. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good night. Hey, everyone. This is Mike from Not Your Father's Movies. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got any questions on tonight's episode, thoughts on movies that should or should not be in the dad canon, and most importantly, things Vito got wrong, we'd literally love to hear from you. Shoot us an email with anything you got at notyourfathersmovies at gmails.com. That's notyourfathersmovies at gmail.com. And if that's not enough for you and you want more ways to listen to us, reach us, share us, and support us, check out our website at nyfm.podbean.com. That's nyfm.podbean.com. Shout out to Max Agros for our sick theme music. Thank you, Max, and thank you all again for listening to us. Have a great night.